get it going. It's time to get up. I just think at the end of the day, Green has a belief in what he's worth, and he will stand for that. Mm-hmm. And that's what the Canucks have to realize. This is not a person who lacks confidence, and you know he won't sell himself short. That's, that's where I think we are. These guys are here to break it all down. Brock's a good player. Just because the puck didn't go, go in the net didn't mean that he wasn't playing well. I think he's going to have a very good year. I think he's a very good hockey player. We're happy with him and he looks good. Let's have a little fun and make you a winner. All right, love you guys. See ya. This is the starting lineup with James Zabolski and Perry Solkowski. Hey, what's happening, everybody? It is Wednesday, January 6th. One week to opening night of the National Hockey League season. James Sabalski here. Perry Solkowski there. Greg Ballack on the other side of the glass. Talking a whole lot of S-P-O-R-T-S with you until 9 o'clock this morning here on your home of the Canucks. Sportsnet 650. And, man, oh, man, what a game last night. Probably not the result that most people listening this morning wanted to see. But a hell of a game as we renew the rivalry between Canada and the U.S. Best international hockey rivalry going these days. And the Americans with bragging rights again pair. Now 4-0 and in gold medal games at the World Juniors going back to 2004. You know, 24 hours ago, we were talking about this Canadian team putting it up against any international squad and how dominant and good they were. But such is a 60-minute battle to win a championship. If you give me that Canadian team against the U.S. team in a best-of-seven, they're winning it every time, in my view. But they're never winning it four games in a row. It's a good squad that came up from the U.S. There's a lot of talent that we're going to see on that squad in the NHL for years to come. And it was fantastic hockey. You forget when you watch it. It's the same thing if you're going to watch college football, you know, their championship, or if you watched their playoffs last week. I just forget that you're looking at kids, you know, and then you give a tight shot of me. Wow. 19 years old. Okay. Uh, 18 mm-hmm. years old, man. They're good. You're, you're putting it to what you see at the best level. The pros great hockey, a great push by the Canadians. It took a little too late. I think they played not to lose for that first 20 minutes and credit for the Americans going, okay, the only way we're beating you is we're getting in your face. We're getting every battles. Uh, you always want the win. We're Canadians. You want to see them celebrate. You want to see that moment of Oh, Canada, um, and we didn't. We didn't. But uh, if you just love the sport, man, that's that's the World Juniors. A final like that, you appreciate what you saw. Well, here was a team that it was in the conversation. Had they been able to win, we're talking about probably the greatest World Junior squad ever assembled. The way that they ran roughshod over the competition up through the semifinals, uh, even throttling Russia in the semis the day prior. But history will tell you that that 2005 Team Canada squad is still the GOAT. Uh, as Spencer Knight gets it done. And I'll tell you what, Greg Ballack, who totally called me on this uh, just moments ago before we turned on our microphone, said, do you not remember what Sam Cosentino said on this radio show almost 24 hours ago? And let me refresh your memory here, boys and girls, because this was our conversation with Sammy Cos at 7.30 yesterday morning. Listen to this. Americans can win it tonight if Spencer Knight has a shutout. That's the only way. I, I don't. Yeah, uh, that's that's the only way I can I can see it happening. Nailed it. Three shutouts yeah, no, I, after a shaky start. I, I, I thought of that last night. Uh, thought of that last night, uh, and you knew he had to be good. 
Uh, I'll tell you something else. And I actually, I, I fired off a text to him last night and he, re- he responded, which I was surprised at. Bull and Byron was outstanding last night. Mm-hmm. And he was, he was outstanding even when the game was over. To be put in that position and to throw everything out there, and I understood why they did it, and I thought it was actually a nice move, the captain having to give the medals and Bowen to go, okay, this is what I'm going to have to do. And only, you know, give each guy a hug that comes by. And you saw his tears and the emotion when he got his medal and got to the blue line. There's a kid who wears it on his sleeve. I got an awful lot of time for him. And I think if you're a hockey fan and you always look at players and, and who you want to idolize, and I don't think you look that way. You look within your house if you can. But Bowen Byram at his age and how he wore that Canadian uniform and his C, absolutely nothing to be disappointed about uh and his parents and anybody around him should be proud of how that young man handled everything when the game was on and to me especially the situation and how he thanked his teammates and showed such class and composure with all of them doing what was a tough tough job yeah no i i thought he was outstanding right throughout the tournament and look look look, there's no shame in losing to a u.s team that had what nine first round picks spencer knight was full value after a shaky start to the tournament where he stunk against russia comes back with three shutout performances the americans were absolutely great they dealt with adversity at the start of the tournament you know the one that was the one question about this team that i had had for the entire time canada had yet to be tested and they finally give up an even strength goal in the first period and my one my one knock on the Canadian team and watching that yesterday, they just looked to try for the perfect shot, it seemed, to try to beat Spencer Knight. By midway through that second period, it was like, okay, Spencer Knight's in their heads. You know, Byram hits the post on one, but just some of the two-on-ones that they had, creating some of those odd man chances. Hey, give the Americans a lot of credit for the way they played defensively, but at the same time, Canada was trying to be just a little too cute. You needed that greasy goal, and they just weren't going to get it. The fact that they were trying to be a little too cute. I mean, what, you know, McMichael missing the net on a breakaway in the third period, mm. just trying to be too fancy too many times, and I think it ultimately cost them in that game against the U.S. last night. But an outstanding game, full value, uh, and you're right. I thought Bowen Byron played great. Yeah, you know, they had to, you know, the quarantine. And when we were talking to, to Alex Newhook, and it's, no, I've been 14 days alone by myself. I think it's it's easy to do when you're still chasing the goal. Guys, it'll be worth it in the end. The sacrifices you're making, unlike any other Canadian team here, the World Juniors will remember 2020 and the sacrifices, the quarantine, the getting together, the journey, the COVID. It'll be worth it in the end. And they gave it their all, right? They gave it all. And we didn't even talk a, a whole lot about the fact that you know, Kirby Doc, their best player going into this camp, you know, they lost him and yet you, they didn't miss a beat. Does he make a difference? Didn't matter to them. He wasn't there. I think he would have. But the sacrifices they made to all of a sudden sit and get a silver medal, that is never in the script for any Canadian kid when they're on that world junior team. That's not in the script for Hockey Canada. So I can understand the disappointment. But in the end, uh, they played their best. If you got a seven-game series, you can say for the rest of your life you were probably better. But the American team got the job done, got some breaks, got the goaltending, uh, but a great display of hockey. And all those guys on both sides, I think, James, will be hockey players we'll be talking about for a long time because we're going to see them in the NHL. And and the fact that they had to quarantine together for 14 days, right? Like this was a team that had time to bond. Uh, nevertheless, and then Spencer Knight, 
I mean, my goodness. And and you know what? Devin Levi, for that matter, too. And two guys who had great, great tournaments. And it's a gr- good thing that the Florida Panthers still have close to $60 million committed over the next six years to yeah. Sergei Bobrovsky. So they've got that time to really allow Knight and Levi to marinate pair. What's Luongo thinking? Uh, good thing. Maybe that's why they don't just have a goalie coach and they have a full-on executive committee for goaltending in Florida because you watch those two guys who are both part of the Florida Panthers organization go, boy, that's really going to help that team. And then you see, we talk and we will about Louis Erickson, but you see the 10 million that Bobrovsky has and go, wow. All right. Can we get rid of this anywhere? Cause we've got some options. So I would think one of those guys makes his NHL debut. If they, and James, you've been with this tournament. Justin Pogue, we can go up with a lot of world junior goalies that never make that jump and have great success. But I just can't see both those guys being a Florida Panthers jersey when they make their NHL debut, not with Bob there. One's a seventh-round pick. One's a 13th overall selection, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess that Spencer Knight's going to get every opportunity possible, at least for the for the now. But let's see. If, you know, I'll tell you what, if last year was any indication – you know, Bobrovsky, that contract all of a sudden looks a little wonky. Let's see how he bounces back this upcoming season. But, uh, well, they've got lots of time to try to figure that out over the next half dozen years. Uh, lots to get to. Ed Jovanoski will join us in an hour. Jovo Cop joins us every uh, Wednesday morning, 7 o'clock this morning. Dunbar Lumber text line always open for business as well, 650-650. And uh, we'll also go around the NHL as we continue to go around the North Division right across the country, or the Gord Downey Division, as uh, Perry likes to allude Thank to. You. We'll check in with the Montreal Canadiens, uh, with Louis Jean from TVA Sports in about five minutes from now. And we've got Canucks Hockey tonight. Right here on Sportsnet 650, there is a scrimmage set to go down 7 o'clock. The voice of the Canucks, Brendan Batchelor, back in action. He'll join us and warm up those dulcet tones at 8 o'clock this morning here on your Canucks commute. 650-650, the Dunbar Lumber text line at Sportsnet 650 is where you can find us on Twitter and Instagram. And some glowing comments yesterday, Pear, from Travis Green, namely about the polarizing winger, the flow Brock Besser is. Can he find that form that we were all excited about going back three seasons ago? Well, and, and listen, I'm not going to say you're the, the chart carrying member of, of the Brock Besser. I'm not sure about club, but you, you seem to be unsure of Brock Besser and Travis green is the, the way the Canucks are doing their zoom media. You know, you have a group of guys one day and then a, a group of other players yesterday. So day two, was the first chance we had to hear from Besser. We will in a second. But Travis Green kind of posed the question that you wondered because if we forget about all the, oh, the Canucks are doing everything, we do forget in the last three months of the season with Toffoli playing that Brock Besser was a guy who moved for the first time in his career up and down the lineup and wasn't scoring goals. And then you go, if the guy can't score, how's he helping? I thought he got better. Travis Green posed that question yesterday. What kind of Brock are we going to see? What do you expect from this year? And as you said, James, listen to the head coach. He's quite confident in number six. Brock's a good player. Just because the puck didn't go, go in the net didn't mean that he wasn't playing well. I had to think back to what you're talking about, to be honest. I just, he played hard in the playoffs, played hard in the bubble. You know, you can even see it out in the scrimmage. Uh, never mind the goals, <clears throat> just some of the little details in his game, his, his commitment to certain areas of the rink. Uh, they're still progressing, and I saw it today. And but when I watch him score a couple goals, I, I it doesn't surprise me. But uh, I think he's going to have a very good year. 
I think he's a very good hockey player. We're, we're really happy with him and excited. And he looks good. He's, he, again, he's another young guy that isn't just hanging out in the off season, getting ready for the next season. He's trying to become a better hockey player. He, he looked really good today. James, you can't just score goals in the NHL. And that's how Brock made his presence felt in the league. But if he's becoming a better hockey player, that's how this team gets better. And certainly Travis Green feels that way. So is he a goal scorer or is he a playmaker or what is he? I don't know if you can just have pure goal scorers anymore. Right? If, if that's all, you know, Brett Hall had to go to Dallas and learn to play a little bit else other than scoring goals. Mm-hmm. You have to make your game a little bit. I think Sidney Crosby is a much better hockey player than he was. We look at them. We measure them at goal scorers. Pot Colson, when he gets here, as Sam was telling us yesterday, we can't look at his stats all the time. He's, he's never going to forget that shot. He's a really good hockey player who, yeah, if you have to categorize three or four guys in the team as goal scorers, he's still there. He's a well-rounded hockey player. He had two goals in the final 14 playoff games. Stop looking at stats. <laughs> well, okay. you could. So at some point, like the object to win a game in hockey is to score more goals than the other team. Like goals mm-hmm. are critical in the sport of hockey. So you cannot continually justify and say, hey, you know what? Goals aren't everything. Well, you know what? If you want a bunch of role players, let's see how that team fares in a Stanley Cup playoffs. You know, oh, I would never full, say role player. I would uh, but, never say. But so what, what do we, what what we got to categorize? Role player, no, but, goal but, but what? But what is he? Right? Like his his goal his goal production from his first year in the NHL went from almost half a goal per game from .46 goals per game, and last year he went he was at .28. So basically, averaging a goal almost every four games, compared to mm-hmm. a goal almost every other night from his first year. So. I, this is where I'm trying to figure out. Yes, has he evolved to more of a complete player? For sure, but is he is he a goal scorer? It, it does, the numbers would say he he doesn't seem to be going in that direction. Like, do you see him more getting back to that guy that that we fell in love with his rookie year, or do you see him being closer to what we saw last year from Brock Besser? Like, what's a good season for Brock Besser in is, your mind? Okay, is Bo is Bo Horvat a goal scorer? Bo Bo Horvat is shown to me he is a goal scorer. Yes. He's a better goal scorer. You know what? He's a better goal scorer than I realized, and he looks to be a better goal scorer than a playmaker from what I've seen from Bo Horvat the last couple of years. Okay, so let's take these two, and and you know, and we'll use the Freaky Friday show, whatever that was. I watched over the holidays with Vince Vaughn. Gosh, it's awful. Don't waste your money. I can't believe I paid for it. But let's take Bo Horvat as what we expected from him when he came into the Canucks uniform and said, this guy's going to be a really good center, maybe a third-line center. Uh, he maybe shut down guys, and now we're going, Bo's got better hands. Let's do the reverse. Brock Besser comes in and shows he could score, and for the last couple of years, he showed actually he'll be able to do more, as Travis Green said. He's a he's more than just a goal scorer. So, yeah, I'll define as a goal scorer, but I don't saddle him in and go, you can't put him on the ice with two minutes left. He doesn't know how to check. I think he's learned that aspect of the game. Dunbar Lumber text line 650-650. Jono making a great, great point. Such a difference what Travis says on Brock compared to Jake. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Uh, we'll continue the conversation on this in just a moment, but uh, we will continue our journey across the country as we examine the North Division before puck drop one week from tonight. And you talk about a team that made some significant changes and, and almost pushing their chips in for this year. The Montreal Canadiens, Edmondson, Anderson, Toffoli, Allen, the list goes on and on. I'm, I'm assuming everybody's got name tags out there on the ice these days as we check in with Louis Jean from TVA Sports. Happy New Year. Bonne année, mon ami. 
Bonne to you uh, and yours and your listeners. And it isn't just great to be talking about actual hockey yes. and training camps. Oh, it feels so good. So good, Louis. So good. And Corey and Perry's after today's there, Louis, we know everything about our teams. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you, you know what? By the way, Mark Bergevin would take issue, and you're right. Don't forget about Corey Perry. Don't sleep on him. Uh, he's... He's one of those guys. He may be the last guy they signed, but I think he's going to be. I'm not sure he's going to play every game, but he is going to play. He's the kind of guy that Mark Bergevin loves. He's the kind of guy that uh, uh, that that for sure uh, Claude Julien wants in the lineup. He, you know, he's not the fastest that we know, but he's one of those guys that makes you win. And and you know, in the playoffs, he, he he's not the guy that's probably going to get you there because you know. It's a long season, and he's a little older that way, but we all saw what he could do at Dallas. But by the way, Mark Bergevin would take exception, Seaball, to what you mentioned about the chips all being in. At least that's he feels that they're not all in because, yeah, he made a ton of moves, but he didn't give up any draft picks. He had a good cap situation that he managed well. So he feels that this isn't a win now necessarily, although that is still the best. They feel, and this is you know something new from years past in Montreal, all of a sudden, they're, trying, they're not trying to manage expectations or, or sort of trying to, to calm, uh, you know, media's uh, vision of what they see. All of a sudden, they, they themselves are saying, you know, we have a good enough team not only to make the playoffs, we think we could probably go all the way, which is very refreshing. But from Mark Bergevin's perspective, he feels that this team, uh, you know, he's building right now, but he still has a ton of draft picks. He still has all the prospects. So he feels that he's building something for years to come, not just one and done. How much did the performance from what we saw from Kotkaniemi and Suzuki impact the moves in the offseason to say, okay, you know what? These kids can play. Yeah, huge. That was huge. And and you know what? Despite the fact that the long list of players that you mentioned that they brought in, including Jake Allen to back up Carey Price, you know, Kotkaniemi – and Nick Suzuki, both those guys, I think it hinges a lot on what they're going to be able to do as well. You know, they're probably going to be, you know, two of your top three centermen. Fitted Dano is probably going to be still centerman number one on the top line with Gallagher and Tatar. That's how training camp has begun. There's some familiarity there. Um, you know, the Canadians know what they've got in that line. It's a very, very solid line. We'll see, you know, if, if it stays that way for most of the season, but I think that's how they're going to start the season. But those two guys showed so much, and there was some chemistry between Nick Suzuki and Jonathan Drouin, and now they're bringing a big guy who can skate Josh Anderson. They're hoping that there's some chemistry there. And there's, there's Armia and Kake and Yemi, who've sort of been a tandem, that have played well together. Uh, and KK last year had a very difficult year for Montreal. They sent him down to the HL. He got hurt. But when he came back in the bubble, he was a completely different player. All of a sudden, he was confident. All of a sudden, you felt that he, he knew you, uh, how to use that big body of his the right way. He was producing offensively. He showed a little bit of, of sandpaper, which we hadn't seen in the NHL yet. So those two guys, I think, you know, and the way the team performed in general really convinced Mark Bergevin, I have to make a move. I have to take, you know, uh, what we have right now and also give guys like Shea Weber and Carey Price, who aren't getting any younger, an opportunity to win, and I think that's what he's done. And so I know a lot of people see Toronto as probably the elite in the North Division. Uh, that's probably tough to argue, but I think 
You know, I, I like the Canucks. I like the Oilers. I think the Flames are going to be a very good team. I think it's going to be such a competitive division. But I wouldn't sleep on Montreal. And this isn't just me, you know, with the pom-poms. And, you know, uh, I, this is just, I think, uh, I, I like the moves. I like the additions. And I like the message this is sending to the players, to the fan base, to everyone. Well, Louis Jaw joining us. Louis, I completely agree. You know, we sit here on the West Coast. We are excited because there was a hole on the, on the blue line. Travis Hamannick will fill that now. But Jim yep. Benning has said, and the organization has kind of admitted, I mean, they're looking for that top six right winger ever since Tyler Toffoli is gone. It, it's easy to see, even from a distance, they're going to need someone to step up and accelerate their game. But honestly, when I look at the Montreal Canadiens, there is no glaring void, is there? Like, where is the concern? You could only hope that the young guys step up and and the yeah. veterans have that that extra gear and are inspired and enthusiastic. And if that's all true, well, where's the hole? Well, that's the question. I mean, to me, I guess the question mark is how comfortable are you in going into this season and the playoffs with Nick Suzuki and Yasperi Kotkaniemi as number two and number three centermen? Potentially, you know, you end the season – they're your top two sentiment. That's the big question. But um, for me, when I look at the way, you know, the Canadians surrounded these players, the veteran leadership, uh, you know, the depth that they have at every position, you know, I feel I'm fairly confident that they're going to be able to do the job. One, a guy like Nick Suzuki is just, he's, you know, mature beyond his years. Forget about his age. He's a student of the game. You know, he took this downtime to get better, to get stronger. He is, He's a Mark Stone kind of player. He's so bright. He's so intelligent. He positions himself well. I'm not, you know, I'm not overly concerned about him, although you know there's going to be growing pains. And then there's Jesperi Kotkaniemi, who, you know, for a year and a half, he comes in as an 18-year-old, and everybody loves him. But by, you know, halfway his first season, his rookie campaign, a lot of people are starting to say, well, wait a second. This kid hasn't scored on the road. Uh, you know, he's really he's struggling uh, offensively. You, you don't see the confidence or the smile in him anymore. Last year, I think even people within the organization had question marks until he came back and showed, listen, for all the doubters, I've got a lot that you haven't seen yet. And, you know, so, so I'm encouraged by those two players. But most of all, for me, it comes down to the nucleus and what Mark Bergevin and Claude Julien have been trying to build for the last few years. It, it starts with the culture that they changed. It starts with, you know, a guy like Shane Weber who – you know, he's the consummate pro, as you guys know. I mean, I'm not, uh, this isn't something you've never heard before. But I think it's about being a pro, preparing as a pro, and sort of going through the trials and tribulations that the Canadians have gone through last year. They went through two sequences of eight consecutive losses. You know that that was tough on the Webbers and the Prices and the Brendan Gallagher's and those kind of guys and the Fitted Denos. So I think that now, all of a sudden, those guys realize we have an opportunity, and they're going to make sure that the younger guys understand that, that the new guys ship in. But that's also the big challenge for me is that with all those changes, no exhibition games, trying to create cohesion and chemistry, and, you know, boom, next Wednesday, a week from now, you're starting against Austin Matthews and the Toronto Maple Leafs, and pretty much every game is almost going to be a playoff game. That's going to be, for me, the big challenge for, for this team is – can they, you know, they have to get off to a really good start, but there's a lot of new guys trying to fit in and build chemistry with new teammates. That's going to be a challenge, but I think it's going to work.
Yeah, you know what, Louis? You're right. I think the the, chem- the chemistry is going to be critical, I think, trying to get this team to come together in with such a sprint of a season. But I'll tell you what, as you alluded to, Toffoli, Edmondson, Allen, you know, Perry, they're all Stanley Cup winners, man. They're all character yeah. guys. I'm fascinated to see what the Habs can do because I'll tell you what, if you want a dark horse to get to the Stanley Cup, and I don't even know if it's that much of a dark horse with what they've done. Edmondson, you know, it's uh, they check all the boxes. Uh, thanks for this. Looking Absolutely. forward to the puck dropping, man. I'm fired up. It's nice to be talking about this as opposed to COVID uh, testing and, and all of it, and I'm sure that'll probably come up at some point over the course of the season. But in the meantime, let's embrace that hockey's back. And uh, Nice to catch up with you again, sir. Here, here. Big fan of what you guys do, and best of uh, best of luck to the Canucks, and let's have a great season, boys. Here's hoping. Here's hoping. There he is, Louis Jean from TVA Sports, uh, joining us on the Montreal Canadiens. And uh, I'll tell you what, in the Gord Downey Division pair, that is a team that I, I look at. I know a lot of people look at the the Toronto Maple Leafs, as Louis alluded to. Um, you know, you could say. You know, I think a lot of Canucks fans certainly like the, the Canucks' chances here uh, in Vancouver this season. But I'll tell you what, man, the team, I really like what they've done this offseason. Chemistry is going to be a thing to come together here, but I love what the Montreal Canadiens have done. It, it says something for patience because two and a half years ago, on a regular basis, I would go, how does Mark Bergevin have a job? How does Mark Bergevin <laughs> have a job? Where is that yeah. Montreal Canadiens team yeah. going? You know, even the Kotkaniemi pick, and now you look at their lineup, and Louis, it's perfect sense. Your two and three centers are young guys, but we're sitting here with the number one center in Vancouver going, hey, you know what? Now Pedersen is there. He's going to get better and better. We're hoping on young guys. I like the look of that team, and I like the character, James. You know, before we went to Christmas, I threw out Corey Perry's name. I go, man, if you can get that guy for a million dollars, like help the cause. My my goodness, Corey Perry or Louis Erickson right now, who would you like to have popping out of the press box every once in a while? Uh, they'll be fun to watch. I, you know, Brendan Gallagher is such a good guy to this show. Everybody's a Gallagher fan. If you didn't grow up a Montreal Canadian fan and I didn't, you do get a kick out of what this team has put together. I think it's going to be fascinating to watch them out east. Lots more Canucks conversation coming your way here on this Wednesday morning. Winnipeg and Columbus providing the Canucks glaring examples on how to deal or not to deal with Pedersen and Hughes this summer. And Sportsnet Hockey insider Elliot Friedman with some very intriguing comments about the future of Louis Erickson on the program from last night. It's all coming up, and it's coming up next right here on your home of Vancouver Hockey, Sportsnet 650. Log in the puck. Oh, look out! This is the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on Sportsnet 650. Kind of feels like in the eyes of some adver- observers that Louis Erickson's start to training camp has been about that effective for the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, Sat Shaw uh, earlier this week suggesting that there is a very strong chance that uh, Erickson could find himself in Utica, much to the benefit of Canucks Twitter everywhere. James Sabalski, Perry Solkowski here on this Wednesday morning. We'll talk to Ed Jovanovski coming up at the top of the hour. A reminder, we got NHL action tonight on Sportsnet 650. There's a Canucks scrimmage. Brendan Batchelor bringing you that action coming up at 7 o'clock tonight. But Elliot Friedman, Sportsnet Hockey Insider, with some very intriguing comments on the discussion of the future of Louis Erickson last night on the program with Satyar Shah and Andrew Walker. Take a listen to what the Hockey Insider had to say. I have a rule in a normal training camp. And that is that you don't count the first week. Mm-hmm. You know, the first week, there's always somebody who, you know, has a big week. He plays three games and gets uh, six or seven points. And like, oh, can this guy make the team? And people will tell me the veterans, they don't care in the first week. Like, they really start going in week two. 
And, and, and week two is when you look at training camp and say, okay, the second week of games and now who's going and now who's ready to go. Well, this isn't normal, Sad. We don't have two weeks of games. You have 10 days of camp, not even, because you guys are playing on the first night against Edmonton. You have whatever days of camp, you got no games, and then you're basically saying, we have no idea how anyone's going to look in game action, so we're going to throw our best lineup out there. And, you know, one player said to me a couple weeks ago, if you're not in shape or ready to go this year, you have no excuses. We've been sitting around for months. He joked, like, we hate our families. Our family hates us. He's heard me say it, so he uses the same line. Like, you've got no excuse not to be ready. I don't like to overreact to it, and but I saw that yesterday, and I'm listening to you guys today. Green and Benning and the Canucks, there's no time to screw around here. Mm-hmm. Like, they've got to be looking at this and saying, already, what exactly are we dealing with here? And as you know, I like to joke and poke fun with Vancouver and Vancouver Twitter, and are you guys overreacting to something? I don't think there's a lot of patience here. I don't think there's a lot of runway. And it just makes me wonder if Erickson kind of already knows what his fate is. Woo! I mean, they tried yeah, to there's move a lot, a lot to unpack there, James. And I think, you know, you listen to the head coaches and they say, you know, it's meritocracy. You know, we, you know, you gotta, you gotta earn it. Well, Louis earned it money-wise. But has he earned it? And, and Todd Bertuzzi told us yesterday, as he got older in his career, he used training camp scrimmages and all that to fight and say, this is how I put food on the table for my family. This is my job. You are going to notice me. You are not going to take it away from me. And I just wonder if the time has come where the fight from Louis Erickson isn't there and the fight from the organization, the money they have paid him, is a realization to fans that this guy is not a top six player anymore. And we've got enough guys who could be on the bottom six. He can't be a part of our roster unless he shows us something. And apparently in the first 48 hours, there's really nothing, anything different from Louis Erickson and what he's done in camp. I, I, I still think with based on the numbers, I still see him on the taxi squad, but we're asking you this morning um, at Sportsnet 650 on Twitter, when the NHL season opens, Louis Erickson will be on the Canucks roster, Canucks taxi squad, on his way to Utica or in another organization. Right now, 38% of you believe that he's on his way to Utica, and at 37%, he's on the taxi squad. 19% of you say on the Canucks roster. A lot of people jumping in on this already. Uh, cast your ballot. Also welcome the uh, Dunbar Lumber text line as well. Always open at 650-650. Let's get into today's edition of Seaball Says. He may not be right, but he says it with confidence anyway. I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. Seaball says on Sportsnet 650. Well, as training camps are underway, there's been no shortage of volatile situations across the NHL landscape. Matt Barzell is a holdout with the Islanders, and then there's the situation involving two of the top three picks from the 2016 NHL draft that seemingly want out. Patrick Laine's agent suggested a breakup with the Jets, although the six foot five Finn tap danced around that idea earlier this I'm, week. I'm here, aren't I? Like, that's that's the only thing I'm worried about right now. 
Jackets center Pierre-Luc Dubois seems to be done with Columbus after reported sour negotiations, leaving Torts to manage a tricky relationship. We're not going to overthink this. Uh, we're going to have a conversation. Everybody's going to understand where everybody stands, not only in Luke's situation, but other situations as we enter camp. It's a tough spot for teams to be in with young franchise players. Investing high picks and just as they reach star status, they want out. It's a bad look for teams, especially smaller market clubs that have had a hard enough time winning and attracting talent. We laughed and cringed at what the Maple Leafs did, backing up the Brinks truck for Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner, but no one has asked, uh, have they won? They won out? Eh? Is anybody asking that? Not so much these days. Which kind of brings me to the Canucks here. A franchise with a long history of bad breakups with star players, like old Pavel Bure, Ryan Kessler, Peter Nedved, Roberto Luongo, and even Trevor Linden, to name a few. Contracts are nearly up for two of the most dynamic young players in club history, Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes. Petey and Huggy, they bring hope and a desire to buy tickets once fans can do that once again. Pettersson's in, Elias Pettersson scores, and they return fire and have tied it. The last thing this franchise needs right now is chaos after a long and slow rebuild. There is momentum for this club again, and the Canucks don't need a PR disaster on their hands. Not here. Not in this market where Canucks Nation is vocal enough to get the hockey universe's entire attention. Two very delicate negotiations need to be had, and this season will ultimately dictate what that duo gets paid. But Jim Benning, Chris Gear, and the rest of the Canucks management team can't afford any missteps here. Despite suggestions it was a priority, Markstrom walked. And while many understood and accepted the logic, Vancouver hockey fans were pretty sour after weekend where Marky, Tanev, Stetcher, and Toffoli all left town. Now just imagine that blowback on the GM if something goes sideways with the franchise players. It might sound something like, I say we stop them! Yeah! Then we tattoo them! Yeah! Then we hang them! Yeah! And then we kill them! Yeah! I say we let them go! No! Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes all deserve to be taken care of this summer. And while there's obviously some common sense that needs to be maintained, these two contracts are about the most sensitive discussions since the Twins hit the open market. And with the Canucks finally gaining respectability once again, Vancouver can't afford to have Petey channeling his gaming mindset towards his employers and saying something like, Suck it, bitch. Be smart. Don't play games. Not this time, Vancouver. Just ask Winnipeg and Columbus. And that's this morning, Seaball says. Well, uh, you, you can ask Long Island, too. You don't have to go that far to find Coquitlam native Matt yeah. Barzell without a deal, right? There is talk that maybe he gets something signed today. Uh, it, it is different, and you haven't heard any animosity from Barzell. He's at camp. He's not skating. He can't. Doesn't have a deal, but he took his physicals. I, I think so much of it, Seaball, is relationships and the building and the coach and all that. And then you let your agents look at the numbers, and the numbers are just so different, you know. But it, it to me, the Luke Dubois situation, the situation with Patrick Line, when they show up to play, I don't know, Todd, we can ask Ed Jovanovsky at seven, said, yeah, it really doesn't bother the guys in the room. 
you can't have that kind of stink around the organization if you know the guy really doesn't want to be there. Um, they have to be a real true pro to keep on going. But uh, it, it will be fascinating to see. I, I think we wondered, do you keep Markstrom? How do you keep Markstrom? How do you keep uh, Pedersen? How do you keep Hughes? Well, we saw what they did with Markstrom, and it was a smart financial move, whether it ends up on the ice. I don't think it's going to be um, a rocky negotiation when it gets there. But it will be fascinating to see how things play out in Winnipeg and Columbus with two guys who would be superstars. I would take Pierre-Luc Dubois quicker than I would take Patrick Laine right now. To, to me, Laine is, you know, you talk about goal score. Yes, I want a little more. I would be more interested in Pierre-Luc Dubois, but I don't think it looks good on either of these guys. Well, I mean, I'll tell you what, you know, you want to connect the dots. Pierre-Luc Dubois' dad is a member of the Jets organization as an assistant coach uh, in the American Hockey League, right? I mean, if you want yep. to look what, what, what maybe a possible fit for both sides, but you know, we're talking about a winger, a 6'5 winger that has the capability of scoring 50 goals. That, you know, how many guys can do that in the National Hockey League right now? Very few. I get what you're saying from a center standpoint. There's probably more of a well-rounded game and a complete game from Pierre-Luc Dubois. But, man, the ceiling, to me, is way higher with Patrick Laine. Yeah, and you just you wonder. Sometimes, you know, from an image perspective, you go, what are we dealing with, a whiner here? We don't want this guy. You know, we saw it with Ryan Kessler. Gave it us all and just kind of let it be known, I want out of here. I wouldn't say it's to the same length, and it's a different way. We talked about it yesterday with social media. You can kind of put some things out there that you really don't want to be around there. Um, you know, Matt Parzell's been very quiet, as, as he should be. Hockey players play. Let your agent deal with it. Um, but you do have two strong-willed coaches and organizations that aren't going to be fooled into anything. But as soon as those guys don't have good hockey games and they're starting to struggle, you know the fan base will be all over them. And maybe there's a good thing. You know, can you imagine going to play and Patrick Alani's getting all the booze and the effort? Hey, they're just going to have to play, have to be responsible for their teammates and that locker room. We'll see how it plays out. I can't see it being a tough situation here in 12 months' time when you got Petey and Hughes that are looking for something. 6.43, uh, Ed Jovanoski will join us just after 7 o'clock. And in a moment, pair probably one of the weirdest, the most bizarre stories in the history of sports. Is that fair to say? Well, uh Winning at all cost, it crossed the line <laughs> on this day. Do you remember what it was? We'll tell you ahead. You've got it on the home of hockey on a game day. Yes, inter-squad game, 7 o'clock right here. Sportsnet 650. He always tries to be ahead of the game. Harry was in front. Finding stories that matter, sort of. We call BS. You want it's not BS, just PS with Perry Solkowski. 648 Sports at 650 Facts Figures, uh, not BS, just PS, everybody. And on this day, those in our business, inquiring minds are always reminded to ask the important questions, James. Who, what, where, when, and There you go, 1994, when it went WWE meets figure skating, and Nancy Kerrigan gets attacked, hit with the baton, and taking it of the U.S. Figure Skating Championships forever in our minds, remembering Tanya Harding, Nancy Kerrigan, and Jeff Galuli. 
Who knew that would have been the second most bizarre story involving an athlete in 1994, right? I mean, uh, hello, OJ. But it was in, in all seriousness, Pear, is that, in hindsight, was that maybe the best thing to happen to figure skating in terms of the profile that came out of it? Well, at that, you know, Christy Yamaguchi, I think, finished third that year. So uh, from a Canadian perspective, um, our figure skating was really good. You're in the middle of Kirk Browning and all that. Yeah, I mean, listen, figure skating's a niche sport, and all of a sudden that was your major news forever. Then you build up, you watch a U.S. championship, and then that goes all the way to the Olympics. And, you know, and then Harding's skate lace breaks, right? The drama on that. Uh, yeah, I would say, listen, that's maybe not what the sport wanted to get into a level. But I would imagine if you were looking at television ratings, there was probably nothing better and nothing higher since than a 1994 women's figure skating gold medal performances with those to involve because it was no longer about sport. It was about drama. I mean, look at all the documentaries and movies we made about it. I mean, about eight years later, you had a French judge that kind of really helped raise the profile as well for all the wrong reasons. But I'll tell you what, Kerrigan and Harding, massive story. Great marketing. If you want to market, <laughs> take a baton to somebody's knee. Wrestling, hey, buddy. Wrestling. There you are. <laughs> uh, a tough week for sports fans in Ypsilanti, Michigan. And you spell Ypsilanti with a Y and a P if you play Scrabble. Why is that, I tell you? Well, Adam Gase is, of course, from there. Fired as head coach of the Jets when the season ended. But hopefully, hopefully they get some good news in the weeks ahead that one of their athletes from Ypsilanti will be ready for the NHL. The last four years has been nothing but a great experience. You know, like you said, being caught up and uh, being around the coaches and the organization and the players. And, you know, just now I know the system's coming in. I know what to expect. I know what the coaches expect. So, yeah, I think this is a, a great time for me to make that jump right now. I worked hard from Ypsilanti. That's Jalen Chatfield. I've Small been town to in Michigan, and maybe he's ready. I've been to Ypsilanti. Why? I believe the, we stayed at a hotel there. I think it was because it was a, a cheaper uh, hotel in the Detroit uh, area. It's a, it's a suburb. I believe the airport is around there for Detroit. There, uh, Queen Naya is actually the biggest star there, uh, rap star. I don't know Queen Naya. Maybe the girls do in your house, but I looked at a video. She's got like 26 million views, so she can lay it down right now. Hey, P.S., is there an actual chance of the greatest soccer player of all time, Lionel Messi, playing in the MLS? I guess there's always a chance. See what I did there with Chance the Rapper? Mm. Right, do you like that? Not bad. Early Not bad morning. at all. Uh, here's the thing. So they're looking for a new president in Barcelona for the football club. One of the presidential candidates had suggested what he would like to do with the club is to buy an MLS team. And then almost use it just like Manchester City is. And there's where Lionel Messi and even Suarez could eventually go play. Man City reportedly with the offer out a couple weeks ago of a five-year, $830 million deal to bring Messi to North America. See, Paul, do you think one day we go to BC Place and get to see Lionel? Oh, man, that, that, that turf seems to scare off anybody with some sort of cachet in Major League Soccer outside of David Beckham. But I, I do think that we'll see Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi in America playing in MLS. They won't probably play in Vancouver, but I do think that both of those players will wind up playing here in North America before they're done. Yeah, the 
Thierry Henry effect. Yeah, they're playing, but he's not coming. And finally, P.S., I got a lot of time for J.J. Watt. All the talking that he does, but he backs it up. Listen to J.J. Watt as he walked off the field Sunday and caught up to Deshaun Watson, who's had an incredible year for Houston. Good job, bro. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You're wasting one of your years. I'm sorry. You should have... Wasted one of your years, I sorry. Man, Deshaun Watson was incredible, and he had nothing there. Don't blame it on J.J. Watt. Blame it on the man who was making all the decisions and trading people that took half the season to get rid of in their GM. It was a wasted year. Deshaun still put up some numbers, but I don't know. Looking back, I mean, didn't you just feel like the Texans were doomed from the start with that deal made for DeAndre Hopkins for what, a second nope. rounder and David Johnson? It was like, what? Are you just throwing in the towel? And, and you know what? They got Deshaun Watson, and they're they're talking to people for the vacancy for the head coaching job. The one guy they have yet to talk to yet is Eric Bieniemy, who's done everything with Patrick Mahomes. Like, I don't know. You, we, hey, when you own the team, you can call all the shots. But the shots they're calling are wrong, and right now they're wasting it with two superstars in J.J. Watt and Deshaun Watson. No BS, man. Just P.S., everybody. All right, six minutes to 7 o'clock. Jovocop drops by for his weekly chat. First time in 2021. We'll do that next with Ed Jovanoski right here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Let's get it going. It's time to get up. I just think at the end of the day, Green has a belief in what he's worth, and he will stand for that. Mm-hmm. And that's what the Canucks have to realize. This is not a person who lacks confidence, and you know he won't sell himself short. That's, that's where I think we are. These guys are here to break it all down. Brock's a good player. Just because the puck didn't go, go in the net didn't mean that he wasn't playing well. I think he's going to have a very good year. I think he's a very good hockey player. We're happy with him, and it looks good. Let's have a little fun and make you a winner. All right, love you guys. See ya. This is the starting lineup with James Zabalski and Perry Solkowski. 7 o'clock, time to rock here on this Wednesday morning. A reminder, we've got NHL hockey uh, on the on the uh, dial tonight here on Sportsnet 650. A little uh, scrimmage action with the Vancouver Canucks. And at uh, 12 hours from now, we'll drop the puck. Brandon Batchelor, the voice of the Canucks, along with Satyar Shah for the program, will bring you all the action from Rogers Arena as the Canucks are a week away from opening night. James Sabalski, Perry Solkowski, and a reminder this hour is a presentation of Dunbar Lumber, the smart alternative. Visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner, Arbuta Street in Vancouver, or check them out online at DunbarLumber.com. One week, Pear, one week! Yeah, one, one week. I'm kind of chuckling, Go, ah, it's an inter-squad game, but when all you have are inter-squad games... You know, Travis Green was asked about it yesterday. Okay, are there more importance on these because you don't get to see them anywhere else? And, you know, and he said the right thing from a coach perspective. Listen, every practice is important because there's not a whole lot of time. But I would suggest if someone goes out and scores a handful of goals tonight, you just go, okay, well, you know, what are we going to do there? Because they still have to have an off day. I mean, they're not practicing every day, but they're playing Wednesday. You throw in a travel day. I mean, there should be some nerves and there should be some guys banging some bodies and ready to go tonight. 
And as you said, look forward to it. Batch will have the call. He'll join us at 8 o'clock, but he'll have the call at Inter-Squad game at 7 o'clock right here in the home of hockey sports at 6.50. The Buffalo Sabres uh, just announcing in the last hour that forwards Dylan Cousins and Jack Quinn have both been added to their training camp roster and expected to join the team on the ice in the coming days in the wake that the conclusion of the World Junior Hockey Championship wrapping up with a barn burner last night. The Americans blanking Team Canada who were flirting with maybe the greatest team ever in world junior history, the Americans with different ideas. And Ed Jovanovsky, former Vancouver Canuck all-star defenseman, Olympic gold medalist, and resident good guy, joins us here uh, on the first time in 2021. The only medal, remember, James, that that Jovo, that's the only medal you display that world junior. Correct? That's right. Happy New Year. What did you make it last night? Uh, You know, I was watching with my boy, and – you know, I just thought that Canada, you know, the way they played throughout the tournament that we're going to, uh, you know, I thought they started the game decent. And then uh, you can see the tide turn a little bit and kind of got behind chasing the game. And But give credit where credit's due. I mean, uh, goaltender played great. Uh, the U.S. played well. Can't it's win good- every year. Yeah, well, fair enough. And, uh, man, it's a great thing that uh, that the Florida Panthers have all that money and years invested in Sergei Bobrovsky. Right. So that's Spencer Knight right. and uh, <laughs> and Devin Levi. You start doing that timing, right, James? You start, you start, you know, dissecting that. And it's like, you know, you, you draft, you know, Knight. And then a month later, you, you know, you give all this money to, to Bob. You know, having said that, it takes a while for goaltenders to, you know, to pan out, but they're definitely certainly got to be happy on on uh, on his performance throughout the tournament. But six more is years. It... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Is it easy? You know, Eddie, and one more thing about what we saw last night, but it's about players, right? Good teams win because guys can adjust. And when when you're and we're going to see it in the NHL, when you're going to be playing teams three nights in a row, the same thing. You know, Canada yesterday had to adjust and go, we got to get something in front of Spencer Knight because, you know, we've been scoring at will and now we can't. When you get to the elite level, when you get to the NHL, it's about players adjusting to situations, isn't it? It certainly is. And and I think you, it's that trial and error as well. You know, you try one thing, it's not going. You got to make those necessary adjustments from within and your coaching staff. And I, I think when you get to the best league in the world, uh, you know, everything just gets that much quicker. So adjustments got to be made, um, you know, but it, it, it comes with maturity too, Perry, as well as we talked about at length a lot, uh, you know, for these young players. But this experience for these players is great, especially now, you know, the guys that are heading to NHL camps, uh, feeling good about their game, they're, they're in shape. And, you know, hopefully these young kids can make an impact early in their NHL teams. How hard is it going to be for veteran guys going into camp here where, you know, Elliot Friedman, a Sportsnet Hockey Insider, was alluding to this last night, where typically veterans kind of use that first week to just kind of get their bearings, where you really only have a week of camp this time around, Eddie. Right. So how much work did you do prior to, to heading into camp? I know it's hard. Uh, you know, you can do all the off ice you want. How much ice are you getting to you know, to prepare for this. And there was definitely a lot of uncertainty where, you know, when things are going to get going. But, you know, I think guys now, they have the resources, they have, you know, the, the you know, the will to to do the work. Um, but you're right, there's certainly not a lot of time 
Uh, so this week that they're in camp is going to be really imperative for these players. I'm actually going to head down right after the show here. Uh, I'm going to check out a little bit of the camp. So uh, I can give you a little bit of feedback on on what I think the pace is like. And I think there's a scrimmage too as well. It's different though, Eddie, isn't it? We were talking to Bert yesterday. And, and, and our poll question today deals with Louis Erickson. And there's there's some talk that, hey, maybe the Canucks will say, you know, you're off to Utica. And Utica with the border and the quarantine, I don't know if you're coming back from that. Um, and Bert said, listen, as he got near the end of his career, he made sure every scrimmage – Every opportunity he had, he was letting everyone know he was going to hit people and all that because this is his job. This is how he puts food on the table. Um, was that your attitude? Is that what a veteran guy has to have now in certain situations? Or because of money and salary, do you think that fight is not necessarily there for guys who might be comfortable? No, I think it's a great point, Perry. And I think even more so in today's game, just the way how everything kind of unfolds with these young players that are, are right knocking at the door, ready to be play, uh, to play. So um, as a veteran, yeah, I mean, you want to not only on a leadership role, veteran guy, you're counted on by the coaches to kind of set that example for the younger players to say that, you know, every day is a work day and you're going to get things accomplished in practice. So I certainly had that mentality too, same as Bert, as, you know, practice. I practice hard, uh, maybe too hard at times where I pissed teammates off, but, it was all in goodwill, you know, just trying to prepare for the game. And and if I played any other way than playing hard, I was mediocre. So I wanted that carryover from practice into a game. Uh, did it rub a lot of guys the wrong way when you're trying to go with that approach, especially in camp? I, I think it's a different situation now, James. I, I think guys would understand if they see a player – you know, going all out, they they know that, listen, there's not much time to prepare and I want to get into game action uh, and play uh, and uh, game intensity and I'm going to start here in practice. And I think the coaches, uh, from what I've heard and what I've seen throughout the interviews is that they want that intensity early on. Keep it in mind, I mean, injuries are important. You don't want to start the, you know, season behind the eight ball with, you know, a few injuries of, of top players. So you got to be wary of that, but... Um, yeah, I mean, it could rub the guys the wrong way. And I think in, in mid season, you know, guys are going really hard, but I think now it's a short amount of time. You want to get yourself feeling good about your game and, and so be it. He is Ed Jovanoski joins us every Wednesday morning on the starting lineup. Perry Solkowski, James Soboski, Jovo. Um, you know, you, you work for our station during the playoffs, analyzing the game in between pre post game. Uh, you know what this team has. You saw what they lost. This is the first time for us to talk to you since, in my mind, it was a surprise, but a great move by getting Travis Hamanek. What do you make of that acquisition and how it solidifies what Jim Benning, Travis Green have on the blue line? Well, I think it's great, and we talked to this this prior. I, I think, you know, as the dust settles and you kind of look at what's available um, and you feel a hole, and a Travis, Travis Hamanick, you know, a right shot, a guy that's, you know, played many miles. It's, he's almost, you can almost pencil him same as, a, you know, a Tanev almost, right? You know, he's a reliable guy. He plays hard. He's physical. He's going to give you hard minutes. And, you know, you just hope he can stay healthy. So, you know, I think as, you know, the season goes on, I, I, I think that, you know, guys like this become really valuable. 
Ed Jovanoski here on Sportsnet 650. A lot of talk about the future of Louis Erickson here in camp and, and what ultimately happens. They tried to move him this past offseason just as they tried to move him the offseason prior, and obviously there's no appetite for a guy who's still got this season and next year at a $6 million AAV. But Elliot Friedman suggested yesterday on the program here on this station that, you know, while there's a thought that he could get sent down to Utica this year, Louis might already know his fate. Would you think that a veteran at this point would already know what lies ahead for the season? Based on your experiences, would guys already know where things lie, where they stand with management and the coaching staff? You don't want to believe it, but somewhere upstairs, you know, you're you're thinking it. And I, I think you look at, um, you know, how old's Louis? 36? He's 35 30, now, but he'll be 36 in 35. the You look at the way, you know, the way the game is now, it's obviously we all know it's a young man's game with the exception of, you know, handful of guys. Um, and what Louis's been through kind of with, with Vancouver – um, yeah, it's a tough situation because, you know, you start thinking of everything kind of the way 2020 has been, you know, what we're still going into, um, where is he going to be the family situation? Um, but sometimes you got to kind of step back and you, and almost the writings on the wall, right? You just, you know, from, from my own, you know, experiences, you start getting part of the latter part of your career and you just start on the ice, you start doubting yourself. You know, the game is kind of moving quick. Uh, the guy's at the blue line, and you're at the top of the circles defending him. Your gap's almost a zone off. Um, and with injuries and everything, the way things go, I, I think, you know, you start thinking about it, and it's, it's I guess, human nature to, to really, you know, start thinking negatively, you know, about the situation, about where your career is going to go. So, um I guess having two years left at that number can soften the blow a little bit <laughs> on, on um, you know, where your thought is, but it's kind of an uneasy time for players in this situation. Okay, well, we'll let you play two roles, one of coach and one of GM. Hoaglander's had the last couple of days with Bo Horvat. They need someone on the right side. If we just made it as simple as you've got an option to take a young kid who's never played in the NHL but has a lot of upside, or Louis Erickson, who you know can be dependable, but maybe has lost his step. What's the decision you make, Eddie, on one of those two guys? Well, I, I'm kind of the old school kind of thinking in the loyalty part. I'm thinking you brought this guy in, you gave him a you know lucrative contract. Um, but he hasn't done anything for you. I know, but maybe this year he will. Oh, but is your team going forward? I think I think the difference, the thought philosophy would have to be different from Travis Green where you're loyal and you know you got responsibility. But if I'm Jim Benning, I'm going, you know what, this team will be better in a year's time if Hoaglander plays. Right. Um, yeah. Right. I mean, you look at the projected lineups. I mean, they got him, you know, penciled in with, uh, you know, with Pedersen. I mean, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I mean, these are situations for, you know, coaches that are kind of in touch with kind of what they feel. And, um, but he definitely can see your point, Perry. I mean, what has he done? He hasn't done much. Um, so is it time just to kind of just, you know, eat it and kind of move forward in the direction that you're going to see your future in? So, um, but 
you know, as a former player, you feel for, you know, these situations and, uh, cause there's a lot at, you know, a lot at play and, but, um, I also understand the business side of things on, on how things unfold for teams where you have to make that decision as your organization moving forward. When you look at what's happening across the league right now and, and some of the unrest that's happening in say Columbus with, you know, Pierre-Luc Dubois, what's happening with the jets with Patrick line. I mean, they're there. Um, but at the same time, when you know that somebody within the room doesn't want to be there, how does that does that impact the team at all, or like do guys understand the business side of things? Like you know, I, it would hard to it hard it's hard not to think that man, it's there's somebody who doesn't want to be here with us. Yeah, and as a general manager, I always thought like putting that cap on, saying you know if a guy really doesn't want to be here, how's it going to affect the group? And you know, but for that disgruntled player. I think his job is continue to play well. He's got no ill will versus the, you know on the with the players he's playing with, so he's going to want to do well. But me as a GM, where where you know the Berkey's analogy, you don't want let me know, I'll ship you out of here. So I know it's it's a lot harder than that these days, kind of to move guys and um, you know. But I think for the player, the guys in the room, uh, you don't read too much into it because you know you hopeful that the guys working you know, continue to get better and make his teammates better and win games. And that'll give him a better chance on getting moved. You know, more teams will want him and, and so on and so forth. But, uh, you know, as a general manager side of things, you know, a guy doesn't want to be there. You're working the phones 20 hours a day trying to move this guy. Yeah, we'll have to see how that plays out. Hey, let me ask yeah. you this. If you jump on the ice and there's a rookie in front of you, are you aware of it? And do you play differently that shift to protect what might be an inexperienced mistake? I think you look at, you know, who's out in front of you. Uh, I think you're just playing your game and, you know, cause you know, I'd, you know, any player on the ice can do good things. Is that, is that kind of what you're referring to as a veteran? Well, player? I'm just thinking you can insulate players or can you in the NHL? It's, it's tough because there's so many moving parts, right, Perry? I mean, there's, I mean, you gotta, I mean, if the guy just doesn't get it, I mean, it's going to be obvious that he just doesn't get it. But I think you have to give that room for, you know, for growth where he'll he'll grow into that situation, um, you know, moving forward. And you have veteran players that can help him. I mean, I, I don't think any veteran player, you know, you see, you know, a first-year guy out there and you want he's doing something not the right way. I mean, definitely you're going to pull him aside and say, listen, this is kind of what, you know, needs to be done in this situation. But uh, a lot of times that these kids are so well coached coming in that, you know, they, they adapt pretty quickly in training camp. Thank you for this uh, belated happy new year. And as we were talking, the Panthers have announced they will allow 25% capacity to the Panther game. So everything's just going to look the same there anyways, this year. <laughs> Why does everybody have the same joke? <laughs> because the Florida Panthers are used to this. They'll, they should be fine. You know, it's <laughs> Halloween in Florida. Everyone's dressed as seats, you know, it's yeah. like the same, but we need new material. Uh, never gets old, Eddie. Come on. Why the chicken cross the road? It, it you know, there's timeless you know, the, classics. The, the, the best lines are the ones that I heard my first year. You know, I yeah. still use, I recycle them 25 years later. That's yeah, great. <laughs> as, as long as someone's never heard it, it's funny. <laughs> yeah. A classic. Later, Eddie.
the class. All right, guys. Happy New Year. And um, talk to you next week. Happy New Year to you, too. There he is, Ed Jovanovsky, uh, with his weekly visit with us here on Sportsnet 650. Yeah, I mean, like, do, do people change the channel when they hear Stay Away to Heaven on the radio? Come on. No, no. There's classics, exactly. man. Just like the If you deliver Lord it Panthers. the right way, if there's fresh news, and the Panthers just announced that in the last 10 minutes, they will allow 25% capacity. So I, I, don't, I don't know what their building is, but you do the math. What's that, three, probably 4,000 people? Yeah. I'd go. Here's our poll question more. Would you go 25% to the Canucks? Thinking a heartbeat people are filling that up. I think a lot of people are going. Uh, I'm, I'm probably waiting for my vaccine, but I think a lot of people are probably still going. Uh, Sonia Aslam from News 1130 just down the hall. I know she's waiting patiently, as uh, <laughs> she always does for us. Uh, good morning. Morning, guys. Where to begin, man? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> this is 2022.0, so welcome. Dr. Dre is still alive. He is. That yeah. is correct. Okay. Yes. That, and that, that is very sad. I think Kanye and Kim, I think that's coming down any minute, right? What? And Caillou got What's canceled, so that's a nice start to the year. <laughs> What's going on with Kanye and Kim? Oh, keep up, Perry. Jeez. Uh, they're getting divorced. <laughs> they're getting divorced. They are, eh? Yeah. Allegedly, oh. she is, quote, done. Yeah. So I'm still crushed from P.K. Subban and Lindsey Vaughn. Uh, nobody cares. Nobody could care less about that. Or maybe that's just no, me. Yeah, I'm not a fan. Hey, so. they are influencers. What's Air Canada doing? Oh, they're doing what you're not supposed to do. Air Canada has been paying uh, social media influencers. So think, I don't know, 22, and I'm on Instagram all the time. And uh, they're paying them to go to sunny destinations down south and to talk about how safe and amazing it is to take a vacation right now. And you're like, um, COVID? So uh, Air Canada says, okay, well, we did that because we're able to reach a bigger audience by getting people who are very active on social media to go to a nice place and talk about it and post photos. Um, But we currently have no more social media contracts. doesn't matter. What are you doing? How irresponsible is it to be like, you know what? Now is the best time to take a vacation. Has anyone left their city in the last year? I, I don't know. Were they using uh, elected officials across the country? To That's what you should do. <laughs> don't use Instagrammers. Use politicians who are traveling anyways, which is wrong, which is what happened in Victoria. Yeah. So, yeah, paint the picture here because there's there's kind of some inconsistencies. The latest politician is a city councillor in Victoria, right? Yeah. So we have a city councillor in Victoria. He admitted he put out a statement on Twitter last night saying, you know, all right, I traveled, I left the country, I just returned on January 4th, I'm self-quarantining for two weeks as I'm supposed to at a hotel in Vancouver. Um, I got all my negative tests before I got on a plane and I came back. But his apology, you know, he's from Somalia and he said, you know, it's a war-torn country, I haven't been back in years and years and years and I got to see family members I haven't seen in three decades. And then we perused, ironically, his Instagram and he was just there last year. So you're like, um, he wasn't in Somalia, but he made a trip uh, to Africa just last year. And I don't know if he saw his family members. I can't confirm that right now. But you were just there. You made a few stops. So what do you mean three decades? What do do, do you mean you haven't been there in so long? You you just went. (laughs) Like, you just went. And he said, I'm really sorry. I know it was the wrong thing to do. And I went. And then another city councillor in Victoria said, oh, by the way, while we're at this, I went to Mexico for, uh, for a wedding. 
And it's like, what are you guys doing? I don't get it. Like, I I, please, I would love to have a politician turn to someone who hasn't been able to travel when they need to, to grieve a family member or a loved one or whoever. And you tell them to their face, hey, I took a vacation because I felt I was allowed to or I felt, what, elite enough that I'm able to to use my job to do this. But please, you shouldn't do this. It is such a piss off. Like, it is such a kick in the balls. I can't imagine how people feel. Yeah, do as I say, not as I do. Um, our Americans are, are busy today, aren't they, south of the border? Uh, in Atlanta yesterday, in Georgia, yeah. uh, Congress, has, has that, it, I, I left it last night. It wasn't decided, is it? And what's Trump and Pence up to today? Oh, man. What is, are, are there problems in the U.S.? Well, this is new. Uh, Trump and, Trump is supposed to be having a rally shortly, which is, you know, what he shouldn't be doing. And this is because the congressional vote for the Electoral College goes today in D.C. So what that is, essentially, it is just uh, all the votes are tallied from the presidential election. Yes, we're still talking about it from November 3rd. Um, And Mike Pence presides over the count to be like, okay, this is the vote. We're going through. Biden has won. And Trump has been telling Pence to be like, no, no, just don't accept it. And then Biden doesn't win and we can keep fighting. Mike Pence doesn't have any constitutional authority to do that. The vote is the vote. The vote's done. Biden won. We're over it. So and now Trump has called for a rally to sort of, you know, uh, ramp up his side to be like, yes, we should, you know, we should push to fight. We should push to fight so I don't have to leave office on January 20th. And you're like, no, but you are. This is the whole point. You got to get out of here. And I don't know what's going to happen at this rally. Any rally he's had has turned out, well, A, to be a super spreader event, but also to become violent if things get out of hand. You know, we could have a real mess down south. Again, shocker. Again, yeah. Uh, Hey, real quick, just uh, up against the clock, but uh, the numbers kind of encouraging that they dropped yesterday here uh, with respect to COVID here in the province of B.C., Restrictions are in place until Friday. Is yeah. there a chance that they might ease up on these, or what? Do, do we find out maybe something today? Or yeah, we don't have an in-person briefing with Dr. Bonnie Henry today, unfortunately. And my guess is, even come Friday, come tomorrow, when we do have an in-person, she's not going to ease up on the restrictions. Mm-hmm. I believe that the restrictions will stay in place uh, until things are stable and normal. Just because we see a drop. It doesn't mean that we're okay. And I don't think people should become complacent and be like, oh, look, it's only 400 cases. We're fine. We're not fine. The hospital numbers are still high. We have more than, you know, 6,000 active cases, which, yes, is down from 10,000. But still, that's a lot. We have a lot of people in the ICU, and we're seeing still a lot of people die every day. And really quickly, speaking of COVID, uh, News 1130, uh, we have an exclusive with the Prime Minister coming up in a couple of hours live on the air. So, uh, if people can jump over nice. at 1220, we're going to talk to him about COVID, about people vacationing, and about a few other things. So Awesome. Yeah. Looking forward to that. That's 12, 1220 on News 1130, just down the dial here that on. Uh, thanks, Sonia. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Adam. Sonia Aslam from News 1130 with the latest going on in the world. A busy morning uh, around the world this morning, and uh, it's a busy one here for us as well. Canucks back on the ice tonight for a scrimmage. We've got you covered at 7 o'clock tonight here on Sportsnet 650. In a moment, we'll talk to Stanley Cup winner Ken Priestley from Dunbar Lumber and you know, trying to make some decisions for a sprint for Travis Green and look back on what went down last night for Team Canada as they fall to the U.S. in the gold medal of the World Juniors. All still ahead right here on your home of Vancouver Hockey, Sportsnet 650.
It's time for Mr. Fix-It. Brought to you by Dunbar Lumber, the smart alternative. Visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver. Online at DunbarLumber.com. Now, here's Ken Priestley. James Sabolski, Perry Solkowski, and Stanley Cup winner, Ken Priestley. Happy New Year, sir. Happy New Year to you guys. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Uh, you've won a cup. You've seen the highs and the joys in the hockey universe. Uh, Canada coming up short last night at the World Juniors. You coached junior hockey. Where did uh, where did the Canadians who were on the cusp of being maybe in the conversation as the greatest junior team ever? Where did it Where did it go sideways for them? You know what? I mean, I I, I don't know. That was a. It was a very good game. It was. Yeah. I don't think it was the game that we all expected. You know, maybe. Four three five four whatever three two, but the the game was played very well by both teams, and um, the goaltending was good, the defense was good, and the Americans when they got their chances, they they took advantage of a couple of them, and then they just shut it down, and uh, the Canadians couldn't find a way to just break. If they had that one, right? If they got that one, maybe something would uh, would break for them, but it. It looked like to me it was one of those games, and I think I've been in a couple of those situations where if it only get that one break and we can get a goal now, we got them, we got them. But the longer it takes, the harder it is to start believing that in as a group. And uh, I, I don't think they ever quit, that's for sure. They played hard all the way to the very end. And um, But you know what? The Americans had a plan, and they stuck to it, and, uh, and, it, and it worked for them. Ken, what goes through mind of player and coach when you see it? I thought the last 25 minutes the Canadians dominated, but there were stretches in there where the Americans were first on every loose puck, right? They just seemed to be out hustling, making sure and putting the Canadians in pressures. Can as a player, do you see that and go, man, he's 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 a step ahead of me? And as a coach, do you see it? And how do you make the adjustments? They did eventually. But is well, that just I mean, we have to give the Americans credit. That's a good hockey team. Is that just part oh, of the competition? 100%. Hundred percent. They, they. I mean, halfway at the beginning of the first period, I, I thought it was definitely one-sided Canadian side, right? Like they were, they were yeah. getting some chances, but nothing really clean. They didn't get any two-on-ones. They didn't get any three-on-twos. They, they didn't have any real slot chances, scoring opportunities there. That the goalie just made a fantastic save. Um, they had some momentum, but that halfway through the halfway through the first period, the Americans took advantage of that exact thing. They got into the first loose puck. They kept the Canadians on their heels rather than going forward. They, they were so used to getting the puck and then breaking out, not with ease through the tournament, but they were so easy. It was one, two passes and they were, they were gone. And um, on the offense, whereas the Americans had the same group, they had the same speed, they had the same defense had the same forwards. And, and they felt a little energy there at the end of the end of the first period, they got a goal which gave them some confidence saying, hey, guys, they've never, the Canadians have never been like this before. They haven't been down after uh, any period. They haven't been down, period. And, uh, you know, let's go take advantage of it. Sure enough, you know, the first minute and the last minute of every period is, is the, key, the key shifts that you always talk about. They come out in the, you know, the first period or the second period and first shift, and they get a goal, and it's 2 nothing. Now it gets harder. Now it's, you know, even though you say two goals is the worst lead in hockey, it's it's still two down and uh, you're going against a great team and, and they shut it down. They didn't allow any, I mean, even in the third period when, when you thought that Canada had a chance and yes, they were dominating in the play. 
there wasn't a whole lot of save, real big saves that had to be made. They just couldn't. They just couldn't get it on net. Ken Priestley from Dunbar Lumber with us here on Sportsnet 650. What you make of Byron's play? He's a smooth player. Oh. No question. I think we've been to a couple of games in the Giants, you know, and, and we've seen that a couple of playoffs ago where he was in his draft year and he was dominant. Like he just was men playing with boys at that time. And uh, he's slick, right? Like you guys were talking about it a couple of days ago with, uh, uh, and even I think uh, Walker was talking about it in the afternoon about how deep Colorado's defense is going to be. And uh, they're glad Colorado's not in the same division as the Canucks because uh, they got some they got some talent on that side, and um, it's going to be fun to watch him grow because he grows every year, like his game changes. And um, yeah, he he was a special player in that tournament for sure. Uh, you mentioned men playing with boys. That's what it looked like for Bo and Byram last night. Well, how about boy playing with men? And maybe that's unfair because Niels Holglander played of the pro game in Sweden. But, you know, as a guy who's played in the NHL, we've seen it. And I think young kids now are just different. Would you be comfortable with him on that spot? Forget about it. Some guys can just do it. We've seen it before with the last three seasons and rookies. But what will that jump be like for him? And would you be comfortable in this organization if you gave him that opportunity on the top six? Um, You know what? I... <laughs> From coming from a skilled player, I was uh, in junior. I was a I was a finesse player. I was a goal scorer. There's no doubt about it. I was the defensive side of my game. Um, at junior, wasn't bad, but it wasn't the first thought. It was always go offense first. And when you go into go into camps like that, um, and I think you've been drafted like that as a, as an offensive player. Those are the positions and those are the things that you think that you have to do. Um, I think the reality is, is the game is way better in the NHL than any other league in the world. Like you, you just, you have to be a goal scorer. You have to be a defender. You have to be able to play in every single position possible, uh, meaning situation possible. Uh, sometimes if you're a centerman and you're, and you're going into the league, maybe they don't want you at center because they're too deep there. They want to put you at left wing. Well, maybe you don't fit at left wing. We'll put you at right wing. There's a whole lot of things that have to be done. Yes, I would take them because I think there's some excitement there. I think there's some there's some possibilities there that he's going to be that guy that's going to score us some goals, that's going to take us to that next level or at least take some pressure off the top line. The he's in a real tough situation, right? He's got to he's just got to worry about what he can do, play the best that he can play, take advantage of every situation that he could possibly be put in, and then let the Canucks decide what happens. And if they choose to not take him, then they have a reason, or you would hope to think that they have a reason. But if they do choose him, then you go and, and, and you play, and your team changes, and you have some excitement, and the fans got some excitement. I mean, hockey's Hockey's this close. We're that close. And uh, I think every Canuck fan would love to see him in the lineup. Uh, Happy New Year. Nice to catch up with you. I guess it's back to business for you guys at Dunbar uh, on Arbuter Street in Vancouver and Bridge Street in Ladner. Um, What's, uh, I guess, never never a bad time to kind of get things worked on around the house these days, right? 
Yeah, we just got to let the rain stop here for a little bit. Oh, my God. <laughs> no, no one wants that. Uh, you, you live close to me here. No one wants to go outside in South Delta right now. It's just uh, <laughs> your grass is saturated. The roads are soaking wet, and uh, the wind was incredible last night. So there was no better time to sit and watch that junior game because we weren't doing anything else. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we'll get back to reality here fairly quickly. The uh, work's starting, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's 2021. Here we go again. There we go. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, Thanks guys. Take care. Stay safe. There you go. Ken Priestley, Dunbar Lumber on uh, what went down last night for Team Canada, the World Juniors, and the approach for the Vancouver Canucks. A reminder, uh, puck drops 7 o'clock tonight. Canucks scrimmage. You can listen right here on Sportsnet 650. Honestly, I, I took a walk on the beach with the dog last night, and the winds were as intense as I've ever experienced along the beach uh, down in Boundary Bay last night. It was awful it was a great night to stay in and watch hockey <laughs> yeah i lost some christmas nights last night and, and i was walking down the stairs and just going we, we got a metal roof and, and i am not one because you, you know how it is when you, you 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 live on the west coast and if you have family anywhere else in canada the, the first conversation always is, hey what's the weather like there's a raining all the time I'm just go no <laughs> like that's that's a fallacy it doesn't rain here all the time and i don't think it does but so far, the last couple of weeks, I'm just going, enough is enough, man. You get more sunshine, and you're always bragging you do out in the Delta area, and I know it's a proven fact. But boy, oh boy, man, it's just been nothing but clouds and the pitter-patter, and, and I don't mind going out and hiking and running in the rain, but it's just like, come on, give me a break. And I think that's because a lot of us, uh, you know, so many people working from home, you can't get out, but... Uh, that's okay. We will have a reprise by the fact that we've got NHL hockey all the time starting next Wednesday on television, but starting tonight right here with the exhibition game or the inter-squad game here that we're just going to cover in sports at 650. Yeah, and a mix of sun and cloud later in the forecast today. Sunny skies tomorrow. It's all happening, and we'll continue the Canucks conversation in a moment right here on your home of the Canucks Sportsnet 650. Welcome to the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. 746, your Canucks commute coming your way at the top of the clock. Brendan Batchelor, the voice of the Vancouver Canucks. And we'll hear Batch warming up for the season week from tonight, opening night, and uh, there's a scrimmage tonight at Rogers Arena. We'll be broadcasting live at 7 o'clock tonight, Sat Shaw and Batch bringing you all the action right here on your home of the Canucks Sportsnet 650. And looking at the line combinations and, and what Travis Green has been saying, you know, it may not be given the love to Jake Vertanen, but I'll tell you, one guy he was given some love to yesterday, Perry, was Zach McEwen. I think we get so caught up in the offseason moves, right? What's there? Where's the where's the big shiny toy that's going to help this team? Uh, and James, oh, what did we lose? How do you fill the void? But boy, you know, to me, when I think about this team, when we could still go to games and watch them, then even in the bubble where it was different. But in that push, in that battle, Zach McEwen was an energy guy for this team. And he was a guy who scored some big goals for him. You know, it was like, okay, man, you got Louie coming down from the press box. Isn't Zach giving him some more enthusiasm and energy? And that's a guy who twice in Utica won the most improved player. And yesterday, Travis Green spoke about Zach McEwen and the fact that, hey, maybe he's not the guy we first think of, but it's those kind of players that can help. And he certainly has a lot of praise for the work ethic and the desire for Zach to be part of this team. 
I think he's a guy that's last year was close to being a full-time NHLer. I know he's worked extremely hard over the summer, which again, isn't surprising. This guy is a hard worker. He's committed to his conditioning, everything, all the tests that we run or are possible to run. He's definitely made some big improvements, which goes a long way to becoming a better hockey player, quite honestly. And, and James, that's what you like. Remember, he's working out with a bobsled guy a couple of years ago, just trying to get the power. But McEwen, Gaudette, Roussel, maybe maybe there's that energy line that I think every NHL team needs. Here's my only question with that. I, I think Zach McEwen's going to be part of the Vancouver Canucks this season. I think they love the fact that he can bring a heavy game. He's got some size. He plays hard. He competes. And I, I think he checks the boxes in terms of what you want in a player and a guy who shows up and, and has evolved, right? Like here was a guy who was not on the radar, mm-hmm. but has just collectively every year goes out and gets better and works harder. And guys like that at some point should be rewarded for that. But I do wonder this, you know, for, for all the for all the talk that, you know, like Roussel and Gaudette and McEwen. Where does Brandon Sutter fit into this? I think a lot of people have wanted to write off Brandon Sutter for a long time, you know, outside of Andrew Walker. But, like, I'm a Brandon Sutter fan, and we haven't seen the best version of Brandon Sutter here as a Vancouver Canuck. Injuries have had a huge hand in that. And I guess well, the we expectations. The Pardon me? We did in the bubble. He was really good. And that's and that's my point, Pear. Everybody has talked about wanting to move Brandon Sutter to the wing or where he sits, or is he the odd man out? I think you could make a case that Brandon Sutter was maybe the Canucks' fifth best forward during the playoffs this past year, right? I mean, outside of Pedersen, Horvat, Miller, if you want to make a case for Besser, you could certainly make a case for him as well. And But I'll tell you what, Brandon Sutter was good. Yeah, he only had the one goal, but he had six points in the 17 games, but that guy was noticeable out there at both ends of the ice. And unless you're you're just somebody who's totally convinced that Brandon Sutter sucks, then then I'm not going to convince you the other way around. But Brandon Sutter was an important piece for the Vancouver Canucks to get within one win of knocking out the Vegas Golden Knights this past year in the Stanley Cup playoffs. So where does he fit in? with all of this because you've still got two more years of Beagle. You got one more year of Sutter. Where does Brandon Sutter fit in? Does he get moved down to the fourth line? Because Travis Green talked about him being a guy that he envisions more in the middle. Well, yeah, Green likes him in the middle, so now you've got Jay Beagle there. Now, I I don't think you can have enough. I think Adam – here's the issue I think the organization has. is How many guys do you want on that lineup where you go, there's still a, a lot of upside? So McEwen, you go, hey, he's good. Maybe he's a full-time NHLer, and we don't know what his what his ceiling is. Now, you know Brandon Sutter, when healthy, his ceiling is one that's going to help you. You know, Roussel, I think when he's healthy, you'd know what his ceiling is. How many guys can you carry where you don't know? You, you know, go back to our poll question with Louis Erickson. Listen, you know Louis Erickson's ceiling, and unfortunately he's likely hit it. You don't with Hoagland. And I wonder if Sutter comes into play with the fact I don't know if he's here come trade deadline if he's playing good hockey yeah you're not you're not having him around next year you have too many bodies he'll find somewhere to go play and he's a good hockey player that can help the only issue you had with Sutter was health and he came here when you needed some people to score but what about the you now know, he was not a- what about the now right I mean you know yes well, I think we're all, we all agree that Sutter's gone next year but if if, if we love I- Roussel Godet McEwen so much where does Brandon Sutter slot in well, and, and I think that's what you weigh in. They've got to play for the now. Um, 
and then make some decisions a couple of months down the road. But if you listen to all of Travis Green and we only give you portions of his press conference, you know, we pull the clip that he's happy with McEwen. You're right. You want to say he's raving about McEwen and he talked highly about Brock Besser. We played that he loves how he's developed. He, he loves Brandon Sutter. And at some point it's the coach looking on the bench going on. I need responsibility in front of me, guys I can trust and tell them to get over the boards. And then it's the GM up top going, okay, are we in sync? And then Brandon Sutter is not the issue right now at this moment, but are we in sync with Louis Erickson going, I know you love the trust of Louis Erickson, Travis, but listen, we're in a position. We've got to, we got to move him. If he's going to Utica because Niels Holglander is going to be a guy that's going to help us in, in four months and in eight months and in 24 months. So, it's coach deals with now, and I wonder how much the organization thinks six, eight months down the road as to what they have next year and who needs experience. Adam Gaudet might provide more of an offensive upside. I just don't think he necessarily is an upgrade defensively to what Brandon Sutter can give you in a matchup, and that's what I do wonder going into this season as your third-line center for Adam Gaudet. Now, I think you're going to see some mixing and matching over the course of the season because of the so many back-to-backs, the three and four nights and happening all the time over the course of this 56-game sprint. But I think decision... It's, I'll tell you what, it's its a position to strength where this team finally has some depth up front that we're having these conversations where you ultimately slot in Adam Gaudet, where you put Brandon Sutter, where you put Jay Beagle. Maybe you're looking at nights where you're seeing Jay Beagle sit a few nights as a healthy scratch, right, at the age he's at. But, I mean, what did you hear the other day coming to camp? Who was the guy who led the bag skate? Old man Beagle, Mm -hmm. right? There's something to be said about leadership that Jay Beagle still brings to the team. We'll continue this conversation. It is 7.53 here on this Wednesday morning. He's Perry Solkowski. I'm James Sabalski. Brandon Basher will join the conversation. We'll also hear from Elliot Friedman, Sportsnet Hockey Insider, on Louis Erickson's future here with the Vancouver Canucks for this upcoming season. Could he really be Utica bound? Could he really? We'll get into all of it here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. A cup of joe and the Canuck commute. Excited to be here. Excited to be part of the Flames. And, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, we're going to win a lot of games against Vancouver. So it's it's going to be it's going to be fun, and it's going to be uh, uh, you know, I'm sure it's going to be uh, special and different uh, for me. A five-star morning on the starting lineup. Oh, look at that! Line in the sand from Jacob Markstrom. Ready to beat his old buddies here in Vancouver. Well, Flames and Canucks will get plenty of opportunities to go take shots at each other. And then we can get Petey telling him to suck it at some point over the course of the year. Right, Pear? More so than any other teams. I mean, to see the change that they've had and to see the number of times they'll play each other. I mean, yes, you have longtime rivalries and it's rivalry night. Uh, in the NHL, and by the way, the, the Canucks will actually be playing on NBC this year, one of their games against Montreal. But, you know, the, the Calgary-Vancouver, it's just perfect. As much as you don't want it, how often did you see a trade and go, when is that guy going to be back? The player would go, oh, I marked this down on the calendar. And now with this year, you're going, ah, you can't say I, mark, I marked it on the calendar, but I ran out of ink because we're playing them so many times. Uh, it, it's going to be fun to see that uh, that battle go on. Here's the over-under. You, what are they? They're playing 10. Who wins more? Does Markstrom have a better than 500 record against this Vancouver Canucks team? I think the Canucks are a better team. 
I think the Canucks will have the winning record against the Ooh, Flames. Really? Yeah. Five, five, four. I'm not including we'll the the overtime losses and the shootouts and all that. Uh, I'll just say I'll say five four Canucks. I think they've looked at the window of opportunity being open for a while in Calgary, and it's not opening anymore. I think it's starting to close, and they're hoping that this this puts the bar in it and go, no, no, it's wide open. We have fixed the holes. It's always been goaltending. We've helped out on the blue line. We're good to go. But remember, when we talked to our, our colleagues in Calgary when the season ended, we would say point blank is Johnny Goudreau there because not pointing at all at him, they said, no, I don't think he can be here. But there he is. Right here we go. Let's try and do it again. He, he's He'll still be there. our leader. Yeah, See, and enough. there's there's an expiration date coming quick on March Giordano. You lost Brody. You know Hamannick's here now. I mean they picked up Tanov, but that's you know you know that Chris Tanov's going to miss some time at that that back end. Uh, this is your Canucks commute here on your Wednesday morning. James Sabalski, Perry Solkowski with you. Uh, 650-650, the Dunbar Lumber text line. We'll get to Brendan Batchelor in a moment. Batch warming up for a scrimmage tonight here on Sportsnet 650 as the Canucks will take to the ice at Rogers Arena. 7 o'clock puck drop for that. We've got you covered here with Satin Batch. But um, Brendan uh, in Nanaimo taking issue with what we were talking about with Brandon Sutter here moments ago and not liking what I was suggesting, but Brendan saying uh, Sutter is no good. Fifth best forward in the playoffs. Petey, Miller, Toffoli, Besser, Horvat, Pearson, Mott, McEwen, all better than Sutter in the playoffs. Sutter at best is a fourth-line center when Beagle is hurt. Uh, Mike also chiming in here. Personally, I think the Canucks should sign Sutter next year around two to three years between two, three million trade Beagle or buy him out next off season. Well, there, there, that might be in the minority as somebody suggesting, uh, to keep Brandon Sutter around long-term, but would, would Brandon Sutter work at 2 million as your fourth line center? I think that would that certainly work i think in a lot of ways i just you still got beagle committed to for two more seasons including this one well and and you may listen uh you may be in that situation if you have adam Gaudet continue to grow uh jay beagle might be a, a guy that teams come playoff time are interested in when the trade deadline comes there may be you know how many teams want that veteran player to help push them over the edge i think sutter and beagle could both be in that equation and, you know, Sutter's next contract is not going to be as big as this one. Perry, who's uh, taking Nor money? is the responsibility heaped on him. So I, I don't think it's crazy to think at some point Perry, that who's they taking may money, look though? at it. Who's, who, like, who's, who's taking money? Uh, like, at this point in time, who's, who's taking money at, at this point in this season when you've still got ca- – like, Brandon Sutter, I could see some logic to that with an expiring deal. But Jay Beagle, no way. I don't see any. Well, you, but you're that you're dealing with you don't know what situations are. We know people are going to get hurt, right? You're not. I don't think we are going to see. I don't know what the over under and trades will be in this 56 game season, but it's going to be next to none, right? But I do think you will see some moves being made when you're you're in a playoff race and you think you have a guy who can help you go over the edge, right? You don't know who's taking money and looking at a Jay Beagle. You don't want teams are in the equation and which players that they have on expiring contracts and go, we'll take it for the remainder of the year and it will actually fit in for this. Right now, when you look at healthy rosters, no, you're not making any trades right now. But I do think come trade deadline day, you may have a plethora of veteran Canucks players that might be of interest to certain teams. But obviously the Canucks hope they're in a playoff race and they're going, no, we need all these guys. But Sutter returning next year at a lower number, I don't think it's the craziest thing. Um, it feels ambitious at best, but 
Uh, I guess it all depends on the price point. I mean, who, who thought that Travis Hamanick was coming here for what he ultimately landed on, uh, you know, with a PTO and, and, and he'll join here in just a couple of days. Uh, there is a scrimmage tonight, and uh, we got Brendan Batchelor up and at him early this morning to warm up those dulcet tones. He's got the hot water and the honey to get that throat ready to go to call tonight's Canucks scrimmage uh, alongside Satyar Shah. Happy New Year there, Batch. Happy New Year, guys. Yeah, looking forward to being back in the booth tonight and uh, knocking some of the rust off and getting ready for the season in seven short days, if you can No names it. to be worried about, right? Like, all the names are pretty straightforward, or is there any that you, you kind of look at in the roster and say, oh, I hope I get this one right? No, I do want to get some clarification as to whether it's Hoglander or Hoglander, because people seem to be going back and forth, but, but otherwise uh, pretty straightforward in terms of pronunciations. Well, you tell us. I, I think you tweeted in day one. You you thought Hog or Hoglander to prefer what you will. Reminded you a little bit of Cliff Rolling. What did he do in day two? Did he look more comfortable for you? Is this a stretch batch? Are we just looking for the next shiny toy? Or do you think in eight days' time you're talking about him on that line and he's going to get his crack at it? Well, it's 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 hard to say, but he does look like he belongs there. To me, he's, he's an incredibly good skater. He's really good on his edges, really good moving laterally. Uh, obviously, from the goals we've seen him score on uh, highlight reels from Sweden and into the World Juniors, uh, you know he's got good hands as well. And he's got a really high compete level. And, and it seems like, and you know, again, we're, we're trying to glean from a couple of practices and a very short scrimmage yesterday, but it seems like he has the instincts to be a legitimate NHL player. So it would not surprise me at this point if he found a way either into the lineup on night one or to be specifically on that line with Bo Horvat and Tanner Pearson. And, you know, if Travis Green didn't legitimately think that that was an option, I don't think he would have put him there because this is such a short training camp. You know, there's not the time for guys to, to work into getting ready for the season. The season is upon us. As I said, seven days away, they're dropping the puck in Edmonton for game number one. So, you know, to me, the fact that Niels Hoaglander was there on day one of training camp already shows that Travis Green is seriously considering that. And, yeah, you know, I, I think there's a, a legitimate chance that he'll be there this time next week when the Canucks open up against the Oilers. Brendan Batchelor here on Sportsnet 650. So what what changes for somebody like Hoaglander to play alongside Horvat and Pearson compared to a Vertanen where, I mean, it was a month ago where Hoaglander scores this filthy goal in the Swedish Hockey League, and there's his coach complaining more about what he wasn't doing and the turnover he had prior to that instead of the you know this all-world skill goal that he finishes off with where the knock with Jake has always been, you know, he's got holes in his game, inconsistencies. What what separates Hoaglander for Vertanen in, in, in terms of this opportunity where they love trying to use Horvat in that sort of shutdown role from time to time against matching power center against power center, Batch? Yeah, it, you know, it may indicate a shift in that, um, that if they're, if they're willing to give an offensive player a chance on that line, uh, maybe at the expense of some defensive liability, I guess you could say, whether that's Hoglander or whether it's for Tannen, it might indicate that they're looking more to play the lotto line strength against strength against some of the other top lines of the league, which, um, you know, I, I think might be the right way to go because, 
last year when that line played against some of the top lines on other teams, they generally did pretty well. Um, and that could maybe then free the Horvat line up to be a more offensive line rather than just a purely shutdown line because we saw a lot of nights last season. And trust me, I heard about it on Twitter every time I tweet out the lines that, you know, that, that line was used in a more defensive shutdown role and Horvat was skating with Louis Erickson all the time. Um, but, but certainly Louis looks to be on the outside looking in in terms of being one of the 12 forwards that plays on night one and potentially even being on the roster at this point with the way that things have, have shaped up at training camp to this point. So I, I, it does make me wonder if, you know, Hoglander being there indicates a shift in the mentality for how Travis Green wants to deploy Bo Horvat's line. And that would make sense too, just based on how successful Horvat was scoring goals uh, during the summer in the bubble in the playoffs. So, um, you know, will Hoaglander come in and immediately be a completely well-rounded 200-foot player at the NHL level? Probably not. Um, you know, there'll probably be some growing pains there. And just because he's playing on that line now doesn't mean he'll be there next week or next month or next year. Uh, but what it indicates to me is that the mentality may be shifting to a more offensive one for that line. And because of that, you know, that's a big opportunity for both Hoglander and Vertanen to try and stake their claim to a permanent spot in the top six. Uh, you want to have balance, Batch, but, and here, here's what I would say to that. And, and, and Seaball has, you know, he, he's never had the pom-poms out all the time for Brock Besser. And it's said, is he a goal scorer or not? And I know Brock talked yesterday and Travis talked about Brock, but I agree with you. If you put a shiny new toy that's more an offensive player like Hoglander is with Bo, and you know you've got Bo's responsibility of the 200-foot game and Pearson, I think when you put the lotto line out, their job is to score. But in what happened to Brock Besser last year, he's a more complete player. So it's not like when you put that line out there, there's no one who has a clue what they're doing in their own defensive end. Is that no. fair that Besser's up and down procedure through the lineup last year probably made him a better hockey player and makes that line more responsible defensively because of what he's done. Well, and, and we all know about Patterson and his defensive ability. And I think that's something that uh, in the Scotia North division, I guess, as we're calling it now, uh, you know, people out East are going to learn a lot more about Elias Patterson and he's, his defensive ability as well. But I agree, you know, Brock Besser, even when he was struggling offensively last year, and even when Travis Green moved him down to the third line uh, in January with Antoine Roussel and Adam Gaudet, you know, he's still a reliable player in his own zone. He's still someone that makes good decisions with the puck to help his team out defensively, and he understands where to be on the ice. So, you know, going strength against strength with that line if you're matching up, so if you want to go Pedersen against McDavid or against Gaudreau or against Matthews or whoever it might be in this Canadian division, that's something I'm comfortable with because of all three players' ability on that line, not just to produce offense because we've seen that you know quite a lot, but also to be reliable in their own zone. And then, of course, if they can drive play against some of those lines, then they're not going to have to play in their own zone as much. And, you know, what a valuable asset it would be if you can have that line on the ice and, you know, have Austin Matthews or Connor McDavid playing in their own end of the ice instead of, you know, taking it to you in your own zone. I want to go back to a conversation. You just kind of touched on it a few minutes ago with respect to Louis Erickson. You know, Sat suggested at the beginning of the week that there is a very strong possibility that Louis could be on the outside, and when I say outside, like outside the country in Utica for this upcoming season in the American Hockey League. 
Elliot Friedman, Sportsnet Hockey Insider, was on the program last night with Walks and Sat. I want to play what he's had to say with respect to Louis Erickson's fate, and then I want to get you to kind of chime in on this. But here's Elliot Friedman last night on the program. I have a rule in a normal training camp, and that is that you don't count the first week. Mm-hmm. You know, the first week there's always somebody who – you know, has a big week. He plays three games. He gets uh, six or seven points. And like, oh, can this guy make the team? And people will tell me the veterans, they don't care in the first week. Like, they really start going in week two. And, and, and week two is when you look at training camp and say, okay, the second week of games, and now who's going and now who's ready to go? Well, this isn't normal, Sad. We don't have two weeks of games. You have 10 days of camp, not even because you guys are playing on the first night against Edmonton, you have whatever days of camp, you got no games. And then you're basically saying, we have no idea how anyone's going to look in game action. So we're going to throw our best lineup out there. And, you know, one player said to me a couple weeks ago, if you're not in shape or ready to go this year, you have no excuses. We've been sitting around for months he joked, like, we hate our families. Our family hates us. He's heard me say it, so he uses the same line. Like, you've got no excuse not to be ready. I don't like to overreact to it, and but I saw that yesterday, and I'm listening to you guys today. Green and Benning and the Canucks, there's no time to screw around here. Mm-hmm. Like, they've got to be looking at this and saying, already, what exactly are we dealing with here? And as you know, I like to joke and poke fun with Vancouver and Vancouver Twitter. And are you guys overreacting to something? I don't think there's a lot of patience here. I don't think there's a lot of runway. And it just makes me wonder if Erickson kind of already knows what his fate is. Always hear about just how great shape Louis in and, you know, that's the one thing, but it just doesn't seem to show that compete through the first couple of days. I mean, it's two days here, Batch, but do, do you buy into that logic that Louis might already know? I mean, they've tried to move him the last couple of years without success. Yeah, I mean, it, it's certainly possible. And, you know, from everything we're hearing, uh, all options are on the table for Louis Erickson. So it's not just a, you know, will he be in the lineup or will he be a healthy scratch? He could find himself on the taxi squad. He could find himself in Utica, no problem. And so, you know, the fact that the first two days of training camp, he stands out for the wrong reasons, you know, you know, not that he was being lapped or anything, but he was consistently the last guy in his group in the bag skate. That's something that coaches will notice, especially from a veteran. You know, if it's a young rookie in his first couple of camps, uh, sometimes, you know, you, you let that slide maybe a little bit because it's a guy that's still learning how to – how to, you know, grow in terms of his development and understanding conditioning at the NHL level. And, and so if there's, you know, a guy that's likely going to be in Utica that's finishing last in the bagscape, then that's just something he's going to have to work on. But this is Louis Erickson. This is a guy that, you know, has had a solid career in the NHL. Certainly it hasn't been so since he joined the Canucks. And, um, you know, whether it, it indicates, you know, whether he knows something or, or whether it's just, something that the coaching staff can look at. And again, as Elliot said, there's no excuse for not being ready. And if there's any hint that Louis Erickson is not ready, then there's no way he's going to be in the lineup on night number one. So, um, you know, I, I, if I was putting money down right now, I would say Louis Erickson's not going to be in the lineup on, on Wednesday next week when they play the Oilers. 
But, you know, beyond that, it's it's hard to speculate as to whether he would be a taxi squad guy or, or a, a Utica guy because uh, as much as you might want to send him down to Utica, when I look at the taxi squad, I tend to think that it, it might be more valuable to have veteran-type players who have experience that stay on the taxi squad so that you can send young players down to Utica and have them play games. So I wonder if that keeps Louis Erickson in Vancouver, and I wonder if it keeps a guy like Sven Berchi in Vancouver as well, so that mm. if you do have injuries, at least you have experienced NHL guys that you can throw into the lineup in their place, and you're not preventing your young players from de- developing through getting game action by having them on that taxi squad. Brendan Batchelor joining us on the starting lineup. He'll be working tonight. You will hear the inter-squad game called on Sportsnet 650, 7 o'clock puck drop. Uh, Batch, I wonder if this is the ideal situation for Ole Olevi because he spent three years where everyone waited for him, and now when you look at that blue line with Schmidt and with Hughes, with Travis Hamannick now, with Myers ensconced in there, and Edler still playing, you know what? You just want Ole Olevi to be good enough to play rather than be the shining star. Does he look in your eyes like he will be able to handle that role right now? Yeah, he does. Um, you know, he, he's not, you know, through the first two days of camp, he's not blowing me away. Like he's not going end to end and scoring beautiful goals or anything like that, but he looks like he belongs. And, you know, for a guy who, you know, has a reputation for being solid defensively, uh, you know, that's really what, what you want to see from him, because, you know, if you, if you pencil in the pairings right now, the way we think that they're going to roll out, which would be Hughes with Hamannick once he's able to join uh, and Edler with Schmidt, then that's your Levy and Myers on what I guess you would call the third pairing. Although I, I like the distribution throughout the three pairings there that you don't necessarily feel like any one of them uh, is a major, major step below the others. But, you know, if he's going to be deployed in a third pairing role with a veteran guy like Tyler Myers, who, you know, has some offensive upside uh, and, and can contribute points, then all Ole Olevi needs to worry about is just being solid and steady defensively. And, you know, in the summer training camp, before they went into the bubble, I thought he looked good in, in, in light of that. And in this training camp, he does as well. He looks like he belongs. He looks to me like he, he's ready to take on a role as an NHL defenseman. And I would expect that that's where we see him next week. Um, you know, does he play every single game as a young guy, learning the league maybe not but you know you've got Jordy Ben there as a likely seventh defenseman Jalen Chatfield although he plays the right side uh, is a guy that could slot in and out of the lineup as well at times throughout the season they seem to be really high on how Chatfield looks and he's another one of these young defensemen who you know certainly doesn't have the offensive upside of someone like Brogan Rafferty uh, but would just be a, a steady option if the Canucks want to use him at the NHL level, but, you know, I've liked Joel Levy. Uh, I think the time is now to get him into the NHL. He's been healthy here. Uh, he looks like he's ready, and I'm going to be excited to see if that does indeed happen next week. Is Jordy Ben the odd man out then? I mean, there's still one more year at $2 million AAV. Is, is he kind of the odd man out on the blue line at the moment? Well, I think what he'll likely have the same or similar role that he did last year, which was, uh, I guess you would call him the seventh defenseman because he was scratched more often than Oscar Vandenberg was and sort of shuttled in and out of the lineup depending upon uh, you know a variety of factors, how the team was doing, whether Travis wanted to make a change, whether Vandenberg had played well. Um, so you know, to me, that seems to be the role he's already being slotted into is that of the, 
the seventh defenseman who gets in every few games and, you know, maybe we'll get a consistent run if he, if he plays well or if the team's doing well or if there are injuries. Uh, and he's a, he's a good uh, Swiss Army knife to have in that regard because he can play both sides. So he's a veteran guy that has experience in the league that can go in on the left or the right side if you feel you need a change or if you have injuries. Um, so, so that, to me, feels like where Travis Green sees him fitting in. Uh, I am a little surprised, you know, after after they, they brought him in, that he hasn't been able to carve out one of those six spots for himself. But for whatever reason, it, it never really got off the ground last year. And, um, you know, as we were talking about in light of Louis Erickson and hearing Elliot talk about the fact that, you know, there is no second week of training camp. It's one week and you're into it. Uh, a lot of these decisions, as much as, you know, the way guys perform in scrimmages may have some impact on, on where they slot in. Uh, I tend to think a lot of these decisions about how the Canucks are going to start the season with their roster have, have been made to some extent here just because they don't have time, um, you know, to, to really get a good look at some of these guys. And Jordy Ben was essentially the seventh defenseman last year. It wouldn't surprise me if that's where he starts the season this year. And then if you have a young defenseman in the lineup like Yule Levy or Chatfield who maybe has some, some struggles or some growing pains, if they're playing early in the season, then that would be where there's an opening for Jordy Ben to try and establish himself in that top six. Batch, nice to catch up. We've uh, we've kept you long enough. Go warm up those vo- nice vocal cords, and uh, we look forward to listening to some hockey tonight, 7 o'clock right here on Sportsnet 650. Yep, sounds good, boys. Thanks. Looking forward to it. There he is, Brendan Batchelor, uh, the voice of the Vancouver Canucks here on Sportsnet 650. Batch and Sat bringing you all the action from Rogers Arena coming up at 7 o'clock tonight as the Canucks uh, with a scrimmage and uh, a little more intensity ramped up. I, I do wonder this, though, Pear, with respect to Jordy Ben. You know, Travis Hamannick's got to go through a week of quarantine, right? I yeah. mean, I, I wonder yeah. if he might be sitting for the first couple of days when he gets here. You know, it's one thing to work out with the team, but is he going to be ready to go? Is he going to be game ready to go after having sat for a week? You know, you might be waiting a couple of days and might be waiting a couple of games before we see Travis Hamannick get in, and that's where Jordy Ben might see some action in the early goings of the season before he could find himself in the press box. Well, I mean, I would have to look at the Canucks schedule um, and not meaning as I know when they play, but when will their practice days be? You know, Hamannick may get one or two skates in and then expect it to play, and he hasn't played for a year almost, right? Uh, so you know, that's unfair. I'm going to be fascinated to look. Not I, Always the rosters are what we talk about, but I'll be fascinated to look at the taxi squads of NHL teams and whether or not those taxi squads are made up with guys who have multiple NHL experience, or do you sprinkle in one or two guys who you hope will be there and let them practice? Or is it just all going to be the Jordy Benz, the Sven Berchies, and you go, Hey, when we need to plug someone in, we want to plug someone in who's, who's, who's has NHL experience because it's just too short of a season. Because once you send him down, especially in the Canucks case to Utica, you know, effectively you're not seeing again for, for three weeks, even if you made a, a call up right away because of quarantine rules. Yeah. I mean, Hamannick's uh, uh, quarantine will be up by Sunday. 
Uh, it would, in theory, give them three practice days with the team, and then it's well, you got to uh, travel. Ba- then it's back to back. Yeah, I mean, it's an hour flight to Edmonton, so it's not a not a long travel day, but it's back to back flight, uh, back to back nights in Edmonton, and then on the Saturday, it's in Calgary against his former team. I wonder if that might be the date circled to see Hamannick making his debut, but we'll wait and see. Uh, Twenty-five minutes after eight o'clock here on this Wednesday morning, it is the starting lineup here on your home of the Canucks, uh, Canada. Couldn't come up with the gold medal win against the U.S. in the final of the World Juniors. We'll get into that and what went down next right here on your home of Vancouver Hockey. Game day, people. Sportsnet 650. The Americans can win it tonight if... Spencer Knight has a shutout. That's the only way. I, I don't... Yeah. Uh, that's, that's the only way I can I can see it happening. Now more of the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on Sportsnet 650. Nailed it. Sam Cosentino, Sportsnet junior hockey analyst, yesterday morning, 24 hours ago essentially, uh, laying that down prior to puck drop between Canada and the U.S. in the gold medal game and Spencer Knight delivered. You know, Pear, I, I was so disappointed with what I saw from Spencer Knight in the game against Russia, and I was like, man, not good, not good. And there was a guy who legitimately bounced back in a huge way, responding, got better and better as the tournament wore on, three shutouts in the end by the Americans, Uh, just an assortment of firepower that they had. They didn't need a lot of it last night, but they got two goals, and that was two more than Team Canada, who got absolutely shut down, which is kind of shocking given the way that they had played throughout this tournament. I'm not belittling Sammy Cause, and that was taken from the conversation we had with him yesterday morning in context. But, okay, if if, if tomorrow we we talk NFL playoffs and, and you go to Todd Furman, hey, uh, you know, the Washington football team wins this weekend against Tampa Bay if – Oh, the defense pitches a shutout. Like, really? The Vancouver Canucks win game one against the Edmonton Oilers if Thatcher Demko gets a shutout. Really? Really? Now, I know Sammy were taking out of context. Now, he was right. He was good. And if you know what? That was a great display of hockey by some of the best players in the world. And I would take Team Canada in a seven-game series all the time. But that is the diabolical way of a 60-minute game to see who wins it and uh Credit from a Vancouver perspective to Bowen Byram, who I thought was great, uh, not only while the refs were on the ice, but when he had the task of handing out medals to his teammates, the emotion, how much he cared, how he appreciated them. Uh, listen, a lot for that family, the Vancouver Giants organization, to be proud of to have that guy there. And now uh, we'll watch a lot of these kids in their respective NHL teams probably have some pretty decent careers because the talent was that high last night. You know, Canada just never got tested at the start of the tournament, right? Like all throughout the round robin uh, against the Czechs, against the Russians, they just never really faced any adversity. And and when they did yesterday, the one thing I look, it was a good game. They had their chances, you know, a post by Byram, who I thought was great, as you mentioned, um, you know, squandering scoring opportunities on two on ones. They had opportunities, but they just seemed to play a little tight last night. And that was the one concern I had for a team that had they won this game, had they won that gold medal last night, we're talking about arguably the greatest world junior team ever assembled. 
And that talking about statistically superseding the one from 2005 where we saw Sidney Crosby playing on a line with Patrice Bergeron and Corey Perry and Ryan Getzlaff and Jeff Carter and Dion Phaneuf and Shea Weber. Like that rock star team. And they just couldn't close the deal. And I thought that lack of adversity through the first five games of the tournament, or six games for that matter, ultimately haunted this team when they finally had to deal with getting punched in the mouth. I don't know if they handled it the best way. They ran into a hot goalie, don't get me wrong, but I think they struggled with a little bit of that adversity as a team. Well, and that speaks to me why this tournament, I don't really care about the first week because, you know, this the Canadian team didn't even give up a 5-on-5 five five goal, right? And it's not their fault who was in their grouping. But you're right, and it's it's how you bounce back. They did in the final 30 minutes, and now uh, you know they move on. I mean, you you've covered this tournament before from a distance. I've watched it. Uh, it's it's great to see the young men and the quality. I'm always amazed by how good athletes are at such a young age. You know, I can't wait. The Heisman Trophy handed out yesterday. Can't wait for the college football championship. But you watch those guys, and you're comparing them to what you see. You know, Devontae Smith is like a Devontae Adams. You're just going, my, these guys are so good. Um, but it's learning. It's learning the pressure. And that's what we waited for this Vancouver Canucks team. Okay, you're really good. But wait, you want to get into those pressure situations of being in the playoffs. And we saw the Canucks. And we saw how well they played in that pressure situation. And now you're going, well, is that a one-off? Or are we getting set for a season where those guys are taking that play from August and September in Edmonton and going, all right, we're going to continue right along. And and that's the beauty of sports, right? I was reading something about the Denver Broncos. First team in NFL history to miss the playoffs five years in a row after winning the Super Bowl. How do you fall that far? And how do you get there that quick once you've arrived? And so the World Juniors, those players at that key moment will learn from it. Then they'll arrive on an NHL team now and see if they can crack it. And from a Canucks perspective, they arrived as a pro hockey team into the playoffs last year and shook and turned a lot of heads. And you remember Chris Higgins telling us, you know, six weeks ago, oh, we got to prove we weren't a fraud there. And, and we're waiting for them to do exactly that. And, and that's what's exciting when you have the renewed optimism of the beginning of a season and how quick it will be played out here in the NHL. Well, uh, the U.S., uh, that was their fourth gold medal uh, since 2004, and all four of those coming against Team Canada in the gold medal game. They're 4-0 against Canada head-to-head at the World Juniors in gold medal games uh, going back the last 16 years. Uh, 650-650 is the Dunbar-Lumber text line. A lot of people jumping in this morning on our Canucks commute conversation and um, where things kind of sit right now. And uh, Micah chiming in uh, your suggestion, Perry. Uh, Sutter for less money. Sure, if you want to sign old slow legs for a couple of more years. Well, you know what? The speed of Sutter has never been something that has stood out to me that he can't keep up. Uh, you know, and we're just projecting what will what will be going on with this team next year. And it's funny how as much as we complained about the bottom six, now those bottom six contracts are out and it'll be a long time before you see a Vancouver Canucks team that has salary that is loaded to the back six. It shouldn't be that for most teams and it'll be corrected. But if Sutter stays healthy and is productive, listen, I think the conversation will be had with him and go, here's what we would have for a number. Um, but he's a guy who wears the A. And yeah, at some point, everybody's legs are going to slow down. I'm wondering where we're going to see a little bit of a deficit from Alex Edler. It was great last year. I thought but Sutter. I, I think everything's on the table, right? 
You know, it's funny. Uh, you want to bring it back to the World Juniors. I, I thought Sutter was such an important part of a World Junior team from 2008. And you know, we haven't seen the best version of Brandon Sutter here in Vancouver. I, just health has obviously wreaked havoc with him since the moment he basically landed here. Um, but I thought he was great for this team in the playoffs. Uh, I think that the cap hit is probably – it works against him. I don't think he has lived up to that contract at all. But a Brandon Sutter for half the price pair, I think people would probably take. And I think that's I think that's something to be mindful of. You know, it's uh, you know a great text here at 650-650 on the Dunbar Lumber text line. Markstrom will not be the same Markstrom market down. They're not better, just more expensive. And also Sutter is better than a lot of guys give credit. His contract is just too much. I, I totally agree with that sentiment that I, I think Brandon Sutter – your idea of him coming back next year at $2 million, um, I, I don't mind the idea of a half-price Brandon Sutter. I just think you got to turn the page, and with where the young guys are coming, I think you're you're looking at clearing the deck with, you know, the Beagles in two seasons from now. So, you know, by, by July of 2022, you know, you're done with Louis Erickson officially. No matter what happens, you know, in the next week or so, you're done with Beagle. I think you're moving on from Brandon Sutter. Um, you know, you're you're kind of clearing, paving the way for some of these young guys to finally step in and, and become the regulars. You're moving on from Antoine Roussel. You know, you're probably moving on by July 2022 from Alex Edler. Um, you know, I think I think you're looking at a whole new era of the Vancouver Canucks, which has already begun with Patterson. But, but James, I, I I understand when you say moving on, and and you want to move on from those contracts. But look at what the Leafs did. You still need to have some veterans here. Yep. So Beagle, Sutter, you brought those guys in at a market price that was too much, but that's what the market was. And you were going to give an extra to Jay Beagle because you're talking to him while he's looking at a Stanley Cup championship ring. You go, okay, I can bring this to you. You bring Sutter over going, well, we need you as a second line center. We need you to score too, by the way. And now the team is involved. And just like I was talking about Ole Olevi to batch, you don't need him to be the shining light. You just need him to be good enough to play. So I don't think you can go, well, you're moving on from Beagle, you're moving on from Sutter, you're moving on from all these veterans because then you're going to have a whole bunch of guys that are the age of, of 23 and, and what bows your leader at, at that point, 26. You still need to sprinkle in some guys who, who have played and have been through the wars. Now, you don't want to sprinkle them in at 3 and $4 million, but you know as we said with Louis Jean earlier, don't look about Corey Perry. And I mentioned Corey Perry before the holidays go, man, if I could sneak Corey Perry in here at, at 800, 900,000, that's not a bad guy to be sitting in the press box and coming down every once in a while. And yeah, you can go, oh, his legs would be slow. But at some point, you still will need some veterans on this team, just not at the price point that they are right now. Mike could kind of chime in and again here on the Dunbar Lumber text line at 650-650. One year at a time, not multiple-year contracts for aging bodies. And I think that's where the Leafs have kind of uh, have done, a, I think, a solid job in terms of filling out the roster pair. You know, with Thornton, you know, one-year deal, $700,000. You know, Wayne Simmons at 1.5. You know, Jason Spetz is 700 k You know, when you can bring in you know, veteran guys to fill out your roster. Yeah, I, I get you. You're going to need some veteran guys along the way. But, you know, look at what Travis Hamanick's coming in at, right? And and I think that the way that the landscape sits for the next few years especially, that I think there'll be those opportunities, especially if Vancouver shows that they are a contender. That's the other thing, right? 
you know, and I think that should be real telling in the next couple of years where Pedersen and Hughes kind of evolved to. You know, will this be a destination for people again to say, you know what, I want to be here because they give me an opportunity to win, right? This hasn't been that place for the last couple of years, but has this become that place again where, you know, the allure of playing with Matthews and Marner and Tavares and where that team is, you know, do the, do the Canucks offer that same sort of value to veteran guys down the road? Like, you know, hey, look at Corey Perry. I mean, I think there were a lot of Canucks fans or, or more than a few Canucks fans that quietly thought, man, I think you said it yourself, Corey Perry, you know, playing in a I box six role Corey Perry bandwagon just to see what they could fill in. At that point, I didn't think they would have a plan for Hamannick, and I, I think getting Hamannick and securing that blue line was smart. I, I think you're also going to find, as we're seeing with contracts, you know, Gone will be the days. Will there be bridge deals ahead? But to your point of the one thing with this Canucks, as we get excited and we talk about Hoaglander and, and Pod Colson coming over once he's done at the end of April, the one thing that we have to add to this Canucks equation is always potential. And James, there's a lot of guys who look like they're going to be fantastic and then it slows down. But this Canucks team is still based on, as you said, Pedersen getting better, Hughes getting better, Bo finding another level. And it seems like everything is there for them. It's not like we're going, that's a one-off. These guys have had a pedigree at a young age to continue to get better. But that's what you need for it to happen. And sometimes it slows down and you need that experience to go, hey, we'll help you along the way. Uh, Neil chiming in here on the text line and join us on the Dunbar Lumber text line. Edler looked good last year. Are you blind, slow, and caught pinching continuously? Can't wait for him to be gone. How do you keep a Rathbone out of the lineup for slow Eddie? Well, because Edler's played more games than anybody else in the blue line, Rathbone has yet to play in the NHL and has yet to play a pro hockey game. At some point, Alex Edler, he may be a poor man's version of Nick Lidstrom. Now that he's got better defensemen around him, if he's playing with Nate Schmidt, Alex Edler's not burying his head and jumping up into the play very often. He's going to look over it and go, look at him go. Right? Smart experience. Schmidt said that after the first practice. He goes, man, I knew he was good, but he just knows where you have to be. It's going to be good for both of us. Well, you know that Edler come this summer is not coming back if he does at $6 million, right? And, and sure. that's probably, you know, you might be looking at a half price or you might even be looking at maybe, you know, a third of the price at best for Alex Edler, um, you know, once he hits the open market, you know, this coming summer, if he wants to stay here in Vancouver and, you know, is he here after the summer of 2022? I mean, he's 34 now. You're talking about a guy who's going to be, you know, 30, you know, 36 years of age as a defense. Okay, so Alex yeah. Edler says, I'll play for a million and a half like Chara did in Boston yeah. because he loves the city. That's the relationships. I don't think that's crazy. They may nope. look at him in Seattle, but Edler may be that type to go, you yeah, know what? Yeah, no, no, 100%. Yeah, I'll, I'll hang out here. Yeah. I'll be your sixth D-man. I'll be your seventh D-man if you want these guys to get some time. I'd sign up for that in a heartbeat. Well, I'll tell you what. There's two seasons to see how that plays out, right? And uh, and or even Or one season to kind of see – you know, these next 56 games to see where does Alex Edler evolve. And, and if you can get him in at, at a million five, I don't think anybody would complain about that if he showed that he can still play at least 18 minutes a night. All right, 846, we're up against the clock. Some final thoughts, including one of the most bizarre moments in my lifetime in sports history went down on this day. They even made a movie about it. We'll take a trip down memory lane next before we turn things over to the Scott Rintoul Show at 9 o'clock right here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. We'll be right back. 
Welcome to the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Eight fifty-one. Well, pair on this day, nineteen ninety-four. Do you remember? Yeah. What went down? Well, my friend, it's very simple. It's something I learned early in school, and you know, I taught broadcasting at BCIT for a while. And it's something if you are inquisitive. And you want to know about people. It's the five W's. And this is the most important. Who, what, where, when, and. Why? 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 <laughs> Should I smile when I hear that? Because I do always. Well, I think they that smile. They, they, they've kind of smiled about it now. I mean, there's been movies made about it. and Been on Dancing with the Stars. Yeah, I've never been a Nancy Kerrigan. Like, not that I want to take sides. I just thought Nancy Kerrigan just, uh, she milked it all. And it was just, ugh. Like, if I had to take sides, I might, I would rather go have a drink with Tonya Hardy. Go, wow, you're just, you're crazy. But whatever, you made the most of it. She was incredibly talented in a sport where it was all about what you have. And she came from nothing. Made a, Could she just say I made a bad mistake? A lot of people make a mistake. Well, you know what? She was she was radioactive for a time, Tanya Harding, right? In the fallout, like oh, she was sure. the ultimate bad girl. Nobody went near her, but she's because she became eventually a sympathetic figure. There was a movie that kind of I Tanya that was a big hit, played by Margot Robbie. Which, I mean, if you're a female who who you know who wouldn't want to be played by Margot Robbie? Yeah. I mean, shout out to Harley Quinn. But I, you look at where she's. You know, she's been on Dancing with the Stars. Like, she's become somewhat of a love. I, I don't know if lovable is too much of a word, but she became more of a sympathetic figure. And time heals, right? You know, it, it became a bit of a cartoon and a circus, and we kind of laughed and chuckled about it, right? Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, Nancy Kerrigan, I mean, who, who seems to be more memorable 24 years later or 26 years later? I think we're talking... I think Tanya Harding is probably more the figure than, than Nancy Kerrigan seems to be the less relevant figure, and she was the one who won the silver medal. 1994, the year where sports kind of moved from being sports and news. Harding and Kerrigan 24 years ago, and then, as we've talked about always in June, OJ, right? Reality TV. <laughs> yeah, oh, my God. Like, dude, go, go figure that Nancy Kerrigan and Tanya Harding – was the second craziest sports story in 1994. Yeah, but there's no really good clips that we can play about the OJ fiasco. Right. Oh, I mean, if the glove don't fit, you must have quit. That's, that's, that's all we got, I guess. Yeah. Oh, well, crazy. 24 years ago today, Nancy Kerrigan hammered on the knee with a bar from Jeff Galuli. Uh, the whole setup, that case, in Detroit City. Detroit, Rock City, definitely on that day. Uh, okay, we got to get out of here um, before we get completely ratioed for your uh, Nick Lidst- poor man's Nick Lidstrom comment here uh, moments ago. When but, you say uh, poor man, that's the default to everything. <laughs> I'm a poor man's Bob Costas. I, it's the same job. You can't compare them. <laughs> On that note, Brian Burke joins us tomorrow. Ian McIntyre as well. Scotty's next. Have a great day. Don't forget Canucks scrimmage, 7 o'clock tonight, right here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.